This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. TNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. Oh, shit! It's Vince Russo! Oh, yeah, you could be king, king, king of these mess. You know what I'm saying? You will feel the power period. What a glorious day to be me. <laughs> this is BS. This sucks. I've lost my objectivity and I don't give a damn. Welcome everybody to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number 29. We are a TNA history podcast where we go through TNA one month at a time. This is our September 2004 episode. I'm Garrett Kidney and I'm joined by my indubitably co-host, Liam Jones. Does that even make grammatical sense? It does not, but I think it's better that it doesn't make grammatical sense. Hmm. I think, I don't, what is the definition of indubitably? Without doubt. Well, I am your co-host without doubt. Hmm. So, there you go. I, I feel weird in that this is the first time in, like, three months we're doing an, an episode every two weeks. And it feels like we shouldn't be doing an episode this soon because we were doing an episode every month for a while. Yeah, we should stop recording and just uh, do it in three, four days. Uh, yeah, it, fe- it feels weird to be, like, on time and on schedule. Well, when there's, like nine less hours than normal it's pretty easy to get the stuff watched <laughs> it is much easier like i i binged the last three before recording last before i went to bed last night and i, I was mentioning to you there's like three impacts is roughly the same length as a, a full weekly pay-per-view and yet somehow three impacts feels half as long as a weekly pay-per-view i think it's the frenetic pace it's just, yeah, even though it's just squash matches, things do, in fact, happen, and new things happen every two minutes. But also those squash matches are, like, four minutes, and it's all go, 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 so. So, before we start talking about TNA, though, tell me, how are you, Liam? It is the spoopy month. Mm-hmm. And I have fully embraced it. You're watching all the spooks? I'm watching all the spookies. I usually do some amount of spooky watching, but I haven't done any other than seeing Halloween Ends, and that's just a new movie out, so that barely counts. Mm. I've been watching... I watched every Chucky. I watched Mm. all the Screams. I watched Silent Hill. Then they announced the second one, so you're welcome. Isn't it a third one? It's a second one. I thought they made a a second movie. They did... But it's bad, so they. Who cares? So there's just. My second one, I mean that the new one is an adaption of Silent Hill 2. Hmm. And what else? Discounting the fact that they did, in fact, make a Silent Hill 2. And I watched Monster House. What is the best spooky movie you have watched in this spooky season? Black Adam. Oh, that film's not spooky. Or good. Um, no, I don't know. I watched. What's the scary. I don't know. None of them are really scary. Oh, are you super brave boy, never been scared? I mean, I'm watching Scream and Chucky. I'm not exactly hitting the <laughs> the, the spookiest ones, am I? That doll is super creepy, Liam. Do you not see him? He's not that scary. Anybody that wears overalls can't be trusted. Mm, I guess that makes... Do you just, like, have an anti-mechanic sentiment? Yes. Again, they can't be trusted. How many times is, like... 
a killer in a movie wore in mechanic overalls. Mostly the entire Halloween franchise. And so there you go. I think Jason hit up some mechanic overalls too at some point. The th- like I was watching the third Friday the thirteenth, and um, but the funniest thing about that movie to me is that he's just walking out like around in a nice button-up long-sleeve T-shirt. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's so funny to me to go from Friday, the second Friday, where he's like in an overalls and with like a bag on his head, and then like in the third one, it's like he just looks like he could be going out on the town. <laughs> so yeah, he wants to make himself decent. Isn't that film in three D? Uh, yeah. Don't they let you know. So they want you to see a nice, respectable shirt. He's dressed up for three D. So when he pops out of the screen, you're like. He is killing those children, but also he is quite well dressed while doing it. Killing the fashion game. Well done to him. Mm. Is the most horrifying thing Chucky has ever done NXT? Uh, by far. <laughs> In a a franchise that's completely built on uh, the relationships of the actors and actresses in real life, somehow. Mm-hmm. Doing NXT and WCW is still the most incestuous thing that's ever come out of that. I do appreciate that he did torment Braun Breaker after tormenting Rick Steiner. Didn't they just didn't they just do it again? Yeah, it's just like Chucky's back because he's his new show is back, so they just put on NXT. I didn't see what he did most recently on NXT, but I'm sure he did something. I think he just did the Braun Breaker bit again. Which is good. That's long term storytelling, Liam. Well, it's about time they do long term storytelling. If Tony Khan could just learn to how do, do to do that kind of long-term storytelling, everyone would be happy. What horror mainstay should Tony Khan bring in to counter-program Chucky? Leatherface. That'd be so sick. Um, Chainsaw Charlie. Shark Boy. He's not scary. Relic. Do not kill us for backwards. Relic did scare me as a kid. He is quite spooky. And Black Rain doing the multiple personalities nah, deal. Black Rain didn't scare me. Ah, uh, gold dust. You're like, that's gold dust. I know he's not scary. Nah, just like looking at him. <laughs> I've seen Dustin Rhodes from the NWA. That's not a scary man. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but Relic did. Relic did freak me out. And famously, I was also scared of the Boogeyman. So it really shows you. You were actually shoot scared of the Boogeyman? I wasn't I wasn't so much the Boogeyman. It was the Boogeyman's Titantron. <laughs> You were like, he's coming to get you. Have me? you ever seen, he's have you ever seen his Tron? No. Well, I probably have, but I don't remember it. Pull it up right now. All right. Let me pull up the Boogeyman Tron to see what Liam's irrational fear is. He's like creeping through a house. He's like doing it in Chucky perspective. <laughs> okay. There's his spooky eyes. Boogeyman in, in, in weird font. That's a door. Is he going to burst in the door? No, he's not. But you don't know. He could be anywhere. He could be anywhere in your house. He could be behind any door. He could be creeping down your stairs. He could be walking through that open door. He could be smiling at you. I like the way they do like the, these suspenseful shots through the shot through the house, and then they just cut to him in like just a generic WWE Smackdown office, office space. <laughs> yeah. uh, put a jump scare in there. He, I, I just got jump scared. That could be your door, Garrett. How could you ever know? It could be the Boogeyman. So you just sat there watching this thinking the Boogeyman is going to be around every corner of your house. Yeah, basically. You're going to walk around the corner, you're going to see the Boogeyman, and he's going to smash a clock over his head and eat some worms. Now I would love to see the Boogeyman. Because he's coming to get you. Because I just want to hang out with the Boogeyman. Could you eat some worms with the Boogeyman? 
No, I'd be like, how old are you? And he'd be like, 30. <laughs> be like, how old are you? 30. How old are you? 30. No, how old are you for real? 40. Uh, so that's spook month for you? Yeah. Uh, the, the scariest movie was... Uh, yeah. Cool. Ch- Child's Play <laughs> 1, I guess. The only remotely spooky movie I watch other than Halloween Ends is uh, Sleepy Hollow. What's Sleepy Hollow about? Give me the full synopsis of Sleepy Hollow. So Johnny Depp. Ah! He, he goes to a, a small no, town. Say no more. I'm already scared. Who has a, a headless horseman problem. He's running around beheading people. Then he's like, headless horsemen aren't real. I'm a man of science. That's so cool. I love the idea of a big, dumb, headless horseman being a serious horror movie, like, evil guy. Then he sees the actual shoot headless horseman, and he's like, Fuck! Science is wrong! Does he have a pumpkin head? Yeah, no, but they do have uh, some people in the, the, the village, Sleepy Hollow, try to torment him and trick him, uh, and they ride along on a horse and throw a flaming pumpkin at him at one stage. <laughs> Fucking awesome. I'm a big fan of, like... Things that are so stupid being, like, played for horror. Mm-hmm. Like, just the idea of a big, dumb fucking dude with no head on a horse being, like, a terrifying beast that you're afraid of is hilarious to me. There's also some, like, sick action scenes where the Headless Horseman almost baby faces himself, even though it turns out he is a Nazi. So maybe not that much baby faces himself, but he starts, like, doing sick backflips and putting <laughs> people's heads off. That's sick. He's like, oh, he's cool. He's actually cool at killing people. Maybe he's doing the Nazi bit as an ironic thing. Then there's like a bunch of subplots about witches. That's cool. Witches be cool. Because I never actually... I watched the Sleepy Hollow TV show, which is a lot of fun. And I should actually finish because I only watched two seasons of it. But uh, that show rocked. So I was like, I should watch the movie. And it's a Tim Burton movie. So you, you get a lot of Tim Burtonisms. Yeah, that sounds fun. There we go. It's the only remotely spooky... Do you play I've watched. spooky games? Uh, no, I'm scared and a coward. Same. <laughs> <laughs> I read about them. I'm a gigantic Silent Hill fan who has never played Silent Hill for more than like two hours. <laughs> the only Resident Evil I played is the 2 HD remake fancy version. Those are spooky. Yeah, that game scared me and I was like, that, <laughs> this is why I don't do this. There's zombies everywhere. Yeah, I don't know. I was scared of everything up until like four years ago, so. You're uh, growing your babe boy with brave boy shoes? Yeah. Gaining credibility in the horror community? Yeah. But... So, also, I can play Among Us Halloween Edition. Hmm. Do they just turn all of the characters orange? That's scary as hell. Is Taz the most Halloween wrestler? I think Halloween is the most Halloween wrestler. Uh huh. You raise a good point. (laughs) (laughs) I'd argue the Tasmaniac is more Halloween than Taz. But was he orange then? Do you think Hook dresses up for Halloween? Um, hmm. Yeah, yeah, right? Because you think you know the answer. And then you're like, wait a minute, it could go either way here. Yeah, because you think, like, he's a cool man who was too cool for Halloween. But also, like, no, he's a cool man who probably has a sick costume for Halloween. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I err on the side of yes. And he wears, like, the coolest costume you've ever seen in your life. Or he, like, he has he just buys, like, a jacket from the Riverdale guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and that's like as much, that's as much effort he as he puts in. Mm. But also, he still looks like he has a killer costume because he looks like a guy that's straight out of Riverdale. Yeah, like that's the that's the benefit. It's like wow, you nailed it. So I I think um, the answer is he puts very little effort in, but still manages to succeed. <sighs> Typical hook. All right, that brings us to TNA. Just TNA from now on. This is the I will no longer call it NWA TNA because this is the month where we did have the debut of the Barry Scott Stinger on the, the September 8th show with the TNA wrestling, with the new face of professional wrestling. Or this is TNA, the new face of professional wrestling, to be precise. So that's, that's I think, the formal point at which we separate NWA TNA from TNA. So this is just TNA now, Liam. And it feels it, too. It does, and like that's that's the first big thing this month is that it is the end of the asylum days. That September eighth show, the date would fade on September eighth, is the final Nashville show, the final weekly pay per view, the final show TNA will hold in the asylum televised until twenty nineteen. So <laughs> we'll be waiting a while to get back to that building, and I'm I'm quite pleased to be honest. You know what? I'm disappointed. All right, please eulogize the weekly pay-per-views for me, Liam. Um, bad. Mm. Not fun. Mm-hmm. Look like shit. Mm-hmm. Bad wrestling. Right. Bad angles. Of course. Bad booking. A given. I hate it. Why are you disappointed? That it didn't die quicker. <laughs> oh, those poor Nashville shows. Like, when you look at the, like, this is the end of the first phase of TNA history. The first, like, block. That, that Asylum era. And the, the, I think the biggest disappointment is that it would be worth it if you could say it just took them that time to work out their identity. But as they come out of those Nashville shows, it's like they couldn't have less of an identity. I, as soon as the Nashville shows ended, it instantly felt like a better product. Because mm. it felt like, and we talked about it a couple episodes ago, what this company needs is a focus point to aim everything towards. And almost immediately, you saw that start to come to fruition with Victory Road, right? Like, you were already starting to build matches, and they had a clear point where the matches were going to fucking conclude at, and, you, and it just feels like, it, this is how wrestling is supposed to be booked. <laughs> Yeah, and like the idea of weekly pay-per-views, it's it's a bad idea in the first place. But when you look at the execution of it, in that they just booked it like an endless series of television, like the all the time they did build toward like big shows. There was Jarrett Raven. Even this month, they did build toward the date with Faith. That was like they spent six weeks or so building toward that show. Not particularly well, but they did build toward it. They did. You know what? They've still still a better build to um. That match and the to the supposed NWA title match at Victory Road. <laughs> mm. well, well, to be fair, they do have nine weeks of television between the final pay per view and the first Victory Road match, or uh, between Victory Road. So, the, the, like, the, the, we watched three weeks of that, which is very much the preliminary, and one of them doesn't count, basically. Yeah. Which we will talk about why, uh, while we when we get into the the news about why <laughs> one of those shows didn't count. Basically, and one of the, had the best match of the entire month on it. Yes, which was the one that didn't count. (laughs) (laughs) 
like the way they booked those shows, the way they put together and structured their week to week of it, where it was never like we're giving you two hours worth of wrestling for value for money. It's just like we're just doing TV on pay-per-view and it kind of stunk. Don't say kind of, it did stink. No, there was periods where it didn't. Yeah, like, okay, sorry, the 10% of the entire history of the company where it was kind of okay. No, I, I think all of 02 and 03 no. up to October no. are, are, even when not good, they were interesting. You know, it's a new company, it, it, they're trying things. I'm talking about, like, actual good, which was like a handful of months. I don't care for actual good. I just want to at least be entertained in some capacity. <laughs> okay. Whereas the second we ticked over into that Jarrett and Dutch regime, it's like, this is just fucking terrible. It's terrible. These Worse than terrible, it's boring. They just produced the most nothing happening, bad wrestling, and it got worse. And then it, it, we're just at the point in September where it's bad. But, you know, they threw all those ideas at the wall in 03, and some of them should have stuck. None of them did stick. Then they switched to a regime that had literally no ideas that we've had to put up with for pretty much a year now. And they're just not good. They don't have an identity. It's like they didn't spend two years throwing stuff at the wall to find out that, like, that's it. You know, that's the thing that works for us. They spent two years throwing stuff at a wall and then decided to do absolutely nothing for a year. God, 04 is bad. And to be honest, coming out of it, I don't even really know what this company's trying, they're going for. Yeah, like, there's an increased focus on the X Division a little bit, but not as much as to be like, that's our thing. But it is more of a thing than it was, say, in 03, as, as like, a, a key cornerstone of the company. And, like, there is some Asylum success stories. There's AMW. There's some of Raven, but not all of Raven. Uh, the more recent Raven stuff, a tad spotty, and he's basically not on television this month. The only thing he does is stand in the background of the Jared Hardy match. That's all the Raven you get in September. Yeah, uh, I guess I'm assuming he's hurt or something. Uh, no, he's on the outs for reasons that we will get into in a moment. Ooh, drama. That's why we're here, really. Yeah, it's just, it's a weird time. I think 03 is the year you should probably watch out of it because there's, it's the, period with the most good stuff and the most wacky stuff as opposed to 02 which is like finding their feet in 04 which is boring as shit i think you can make a solid like top 10 compilation match list from these first three years Mm -hmm. and that's about it and then you could put every match past that top 10 is like a two and a half to three star match that you'll never forget that's why you don't go past the top 10 there's no disc two yeah, there is like a, a series of memorable moments. There's like the head. Oh yeah, shaving. you'd have like a, a cool little compilation video as the extras of all the angles, <laughs> of all the wackiest angles. But like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's not exactly quality TV. It's probably the period at which the most like old and fun wrestlers showed up, even if like you know Kurt Hennig or Mike Awesome didn't do anything particularly notable. We did have that kick-ass Mike Barton Perry Saturn match. Remember that? That ruled. Uh-huh. Kenzo Suzuki. Yeah, Kenzo Suzuki, Takawamori. Remember Takawamori? Yeah. The Briscoes. Oh, yeah, getting chokeslammed by Malice and having the big noise in the middle of the ring. Awesome. It is, like, the the wackiest period in TNA history for just guys showing up, which was a lot of fun. I think that's the thing, too. I, I, I do have a fondness for, like, that first six months or whatever when it was just stupid. Mm. 
The problem is most of it just devolved into boring. When you had Puppet and you had the Dups and you had Bruce and you had all of that Bruce, stuff. surprisingly great worker. That was That's one of the biggest surprises of the NWA TNA. It all went downhill when Brian Lawler stopped showing up. It's it's true. Man, I haven't thought about Brian Lawler in forever. And it makes me sad now. And yeah, I'm shocked he never, ever, ever came back. Not even for a one-off. 29 months later. So that is, the, like, the Asylum days. Uh, a failed experiment in so many, many, many regards. But it kept the doors open. So that's about all it needed to do. But here we are now. Now this is, like, functionally visually everything this is tna now i was watching the pd williams squash mm-hmm. on one of the last impacts and I, and I was watching it and it was bright and they had like i guess they had new cameras it all was so bright and the reds were popping and the, the crowd looked good and he was doing a canadian destroyer and i'm like ah tna <laughs> this is TNA. Barry Scott is right with that. By the way, the first time you hear Barry Scott's voice in TNA history is that September 8th, sir, with the, the debut of the This Is This Is TNA stinger. That's quite poetic. Yeah, you hear the iconic voice of Barry Scott for the first time there, and it is increasingly you realize I think the TNA that people know and love uh, as as an identity is basically created by Dave Sahadi. Yeah. Well, I think it's um it's that thing that you can associate with, right? It's like, it's a, that thing that you kind of snap back to. It's like, uh, I guess similar reactions would be to, like, different Raw and SmackDown intros over the year. Because, yeah, you you get a lot of those, like, production elements, like the, the, the Barry Scott voiceover, but just, the, like, the general vibe, to get, like, that all those promos start positioning the company as, like, the actual true honest-to-goodness alternative to WWE, whether it is or not at this stage is an open question. But, like, they are positioning the company as something. And that's that's David Zahadi, who, uh, whose work people rave about this month. And you see bits and pieces of it, like, seeping into the show. There's a lot more video features on the impacts later in the month, uh, especially the ones building to Victory Road that are like, oh, these are just worlds above JB's effort and Moody Jack. But they're, like, stitch into this, this show together in premiere. And this is like stuff that has actual like vision to it. It does feel like immediately after the pay per views, and like I, I, it's interesting that they did it this way because I don't think they necessarily had like a reason to, but it did feel like a like an extended reboot, and uh, they they framed these post NWA TNA pay per view impacts like as if they were presenting it to a brand new audience again. Mm. Which is, like, interesting because they're not. It's the same people watching. It's not like they've got on a new channel or something and people are flipping it over and catching it for the first time. But it's interesting that they went with that decision because I think as viewers and people who have seen every show up until this point, it is really refreshing to get that new coat of paint on it. And it's right, like it's the second time this year they've done that. Like they they did that kind of reboot heading into the launch of Impact, where it's like, all right, we have a bunch of people watching for the first time. We need to, you know, set the, our champions back to Styles, AMW, and Jarrett, their default positions. <laughs> Reintroduce TNA via Impact, and yeah, you're you're right in that. Like the the first Impact after the pay views end, the September 10th Impact ends with like Mike Tanae is like oh we have this great video package that will introduce TNA to you and it is a pretty good video package and it ends with the the 30 second spot for Victory Road which is a real good spot too 
it's it's not a reboot. Like they're they're still telling all the same stories they were telling the two days before on the pay per view. It's not like they've dumped all those stories. A lot of those stories continue through to Victory Road on November seventh, but. It, it does feel like it's like, all right, we kind of need to reset here because what we're doing isn't working. The main event like story is a story designed to introduce you to all the main eventers. Mm. Like, who's going to be the number one contender? Well, let's have a bunch of squash matches with the, our top talent so you can see them as they are all are fighting to be number one contender. But this is also a great excuse to show everyone who these people are and run vignettes on the people who aren't on the shows. And they move into a little mini tournament in in September to crown a number contender, or in November even, or October. The mo- what's the month after September, Liam? It's October. Spook it's month. October. The one we're in. I think part of that is that actually there there was indecision about who should be made event Victory Road. Like the 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 original plan was to do a two pay per view program with Monty, which they they lost their bottle on. So now they're like, what do we do if it's not Monty? I have no clue. Well, you will find out when watching in october but this is september and we will talk about it in depth uh let's get into the news we'll start with the the thing i was mentioning there a second ago which is the the debut of david sahadi whose influence you do see increasingly on these shows that's like oh there's actual like production elements on these shows now as opposed to some just fill in the gaps in the story video packages so David Sahadi is producing the new pay-per-view commercials and those who have seen a preview are very impressed. He's using strobe lights and close-up camera shots and observers predict that the commercial shots will be dramatic improvements over past TNA commercials. I mean, uh, probably not a hard bar to, to pass. Because <laughs> yeah, you see the, the Victory Road promo, which is at the end of that, that package on September 10. And it is very much the case that, you know, that's a promo with style it's a promo with vision it's this promo with like an identity and it's like my god this man is bringing character to this wrestling show it helps too he has such he's working with a lot of really cool stuff you know what i mean like Mm. he has a cool group of people to highlight with a a company that has a cool aesthetic yeah because like say what you will about the asylum days and you can say a lot but coming out of it the company does (laughs) yes and have and thankfully we no longer will have to but the company has come out of those days with America's Most Wanted, with Triple X, with AJ Styles, with Abyss, with Monty Brown, as homegrown new guys that they're introducing, and now they can make them seem cool, because they are cool. It's like, it's not hard to make AJ Styles seem cool, especially given the the one, like, true pro point you have over the Asylum days is that you can see AJ develop from raw potential into real deal. And like, he's real deal now, and he was raw potential in 02. So that's like probably the biggest success story of the Asylum days. And now it's just like, let's just market him as the real deal. Yeah. I think it's, um, what comes out of this too is like the, the general aesthetic that TNA will become known for is born here too. Hmm. Just that, like, very modern, fast-paced, uh, frantic look and high and flashing lights and music playing and the close-ups. Like, these are all staples and, and uh, production staples that we will be getting moving forward and becomes kind of the identity of the company. And there's a little bit of swagger in it. At the moment, unearned. There's also a coolness to it. Yeah, like, there is a little bit of pep in the step that's like, this is TNA. You know, this is the new face of professional wrestling. There's a, a confidence, again, slightly unearned, but there is a, a confidence that's like, we're not just throwing shit at the wall. We believe in this, and you should too. 
We're not just throwing shit at the wall. We are the shit being thrown at the wall. <laughs> uh, TNA workers and fans are raving about the job Dave Sahadi did on his first video for the promotion. It's a short video hyping Victory Road, but it's unanimously thought to be a reminder of how the production work David Sahadi does is several levels above anybody else in the industry. Basically, if you loved the WWF promo from like 97 to 2001, it was probably, or 2004-ish, it was probably his creative vision that you saw right there. Like David Sahadi, who still works for Impact. examples for the people. And by the people, I mean me, who didn't watch. <laughs> oh, you know the Freddie Blassie WrestleMania promo? Yeah, of course. Him. Ah, that that one was so good. They used it for like five years in a row. Yeah, that that's the one that that like is the probably like the the one that you can be like creative genius. You, you know, can you do the here comes the pain one. I'm not sure. because that, that seems that seems like similar vibe to it. Mm. So, like his work is almost above wrestling. He's too good for it. But like, he still works with Impact to this day. And I think Impact's video production, I think still more, uh, a lot of the times leads the industry. That even relative to people with a lot more resources. I mean, I agree. I, I think there's one thing I've always given Impact credit for is that I think they, they've they made the best out of their production. Mm. Jerry Borish and Moody Jack had been doing an admirable job on production for TNA, which to be fair, they really have. For two guys who... who didn't have any backing or any resources and did it all themselves. They they got the job done pretty darn well, but they obviously like that. It's just not their full skill set. But David Sahadi is a clear level above them. Sahadi had worked for WWE until last year when he surprised Vince McMahon by quitting. He had reached a point of burnout and earned enough and saved wisely so that he didn't have to support himself anymore. McMahon is known to expect virtually a twenty-five hour workday from his staffers because hmm. he's. A psychopath. Uh, every, uh, even today, sources within WWE production say morale is down because the work environment is so grinding and thankless and the equipment is said to be outdated at this point. <laughs> it was the grinding in his work environment that got him in the end. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> when you think back to uh, many of the WWE videos over the years or show openings that stand out, he was the person behind most of them. Although WWE still has a great production staff, it's not the same without him. Zahadi and Jeff Jarrett, being about the same age, had become good friends in WWE while working together on various videos in the production department. Zahadi missed working with wrestling but didn't want to return to WWE and it's a grueling schedule and political environment, so TNA ended up being a perfect fit for him. He had a cameraman with him most times behind the scenes. He just comes up with one idea after another on how to film wrestlers in creative ways with different lighting and backdrops and then melds it with non-wrestling scenery in artistic ways that grab attention. Uh, his passion, vision, and artistic creativity is fascinating to see in motion, says one TNA wrestler. He clearly loves what he does and is a genius at it. He knows how to make a viewer feel a certain way using imagery. You can't help but feel emotion when seeing his work. Sahadi was apologizing to some for not knowing the wrestler's characters that well. and He said he'd get better once he got up to speed. So people raving within TNA about the work of David Sahadi, And as we mentioned, you can already begin to see it on the show itself. Yeah, um, it seems like a guy who's really, really good at what he does. A guy who's like, like an actual genius in wrestling, as opposed to all the people that end up getting called, called a genius in wrestling. And yeah. <laughs> say names, Garrett. Call them out. I'd just say Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> well, listen, I, I never want to disrespect that one, Jeff Jarrett. We literally did this on the last show, where we were like, yeah, his creative vision for wrestling stinks. Oh, no. And we're going to talk pretty extensively in a few minutes about how a lot of people in this company think his creative vision for wrestling stinks. 
But before that, multiple sources confirm that Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, a.k.a. The Outsiders, have agreed to appear at the November 7th Victory Road three-hour Sunday night premiere pay-per-view. That's teased extensively this month, where Jeff Jarrett is constantly talking about whether or not Russo will bring quote-unquote outsiders, and he reinforces the word outsiders over and over, and then suggests maybe he's beaten Russo to the punch. (gasps) What could he mean? Well... What could it mean to say the word outsiders so much? I'm not exactly pumping my fist at the idea of the outsiders mm-hmm. coming in, but paparazzi productions needs to happen. So I guess I just got to take it on the chin. Yeah, and like Nash ends up being like, not quite a TNA guy, but he's he's with TNA for six years, give or take. Am I excited about the prospect of Kevin Nash working matches? No. Am I excited about the idea of Kevin Nash cutting promos? Yes. Yeah, goofing off and being stupid. Which is honestly what every old dude who comes into this company should do. There's also some speculation that Sean Waltman will appear with Hall and Nash as an Outsiders-like faction. There's no word yet as to whether the group will actually work a match at the pay-per-view or if it will simply serve as their debut. Jeff Jarrett was reluctant to bring Hall and Nash in due to their locker room reputations, but has apparently decided that he needs to do something special for the first Sunday night pay-per-view. It is literally the Vince McMahon lethal dose of poison promo that Jarrett's doing within himself. I get it. Like, I I understand bringing him in. I I get doing a big debut for the first pay-per-view make it stand out. I personally am not that interested in seeing any of these guys work, but... It could make for some interesting discussion. And, like, one of the things we've hit on recently is, like, how star-light these shows are. They're doing an okay job of, like, boosting up their homegrown guys. But, like, yeah, still only got Jarrett and Raven as, like, recognizable names. And maybe Conan and BG and maybe a little bit Ron, but not much Ron. So, like, there's not a ton of household names and... You can say a lot about Hall and Nash, but they're household names, and they're names that get attention, and they're names people pay attention to, and that's that's the the call they make here. Like they know what they're getting with them. They're not like in denial about it. Oh, they have Jeff Hardy too. I should mention Jeff Hardy, but they're not in denial about what you get with Hall and Nash. But it's actually it's pretty similar to to Hardy in that like they know Hardy will burn them. They they know he will. <laughs> they're counting the days until it happens, but they need him. And it's a similar case with Hall and Nash. They need them. Yeah, I think Jeff has a lot more value. But mm. listen, I'm I'm not opposed to it. I'm sure it'll it'll make for some good podcasting content. The locker room reaction to reports that the outsiders are scheduled to be joining the company has been positive. In fact, some wrestlers are hoping that Hall and Nash will play some political games they've been known throughout their careers. We need anything that will get. Jeff and Dutch away from the book. If it's a power play, so be it. We need right. something, anything, says one wrestler. Yeah, right, I'm into it now. They, they, they're winning me over because they brought up a very good point. It's like, you know, normally what makes you uh, worried when these guys come in is that they might ruin a good thing. Not really a good thing to ruin, so might as well bring them in. I like that the, that's the locker room attitude too. It's like, listen, these guys are known for making like life a nightmare and ruining places and playing politics but listen the guys in charge suck so yeah do it (laughs) do it (laughs) yeah but but that has actually swayed me quite significantly the locker room is so frustrated they're like bring the biggest politicking assholes in here to boot out the shitty people We'll we'll see how that goes 
Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are said to be excited about going to work in TNA. Hall lives in Orlando and Nash lives nearby in Daytona Beach. So they are both within driving distance of Universal Studios. They like the fact that they won't have to work house shows and they expect to have a large say in the way their characters are booked on television. I'm sure nothing controversial will come out of this ever. Uh, no, Nash has some controversy too. I was going to say Nash is pretty good, but the, he, there's a whole thing about him for glory next year. So, <laughs> Might have been what I was referring to. And well, Hall will have multiple controversies. Yes. Uh, I did like Nash doing the, the Austin show where he was just like, I worked for TNA, I'd drive down to Universal Studios, I'd work a six-man tag in which I did two moves, go to the steakhouse, eat a giant steak, drink some wine, get paid 10 figures and go home. It's like, yeah, Sounds dream job. Wonderful. And there's people who are like, you know, you stole money. It's like, nah, all power to you. I love Big Sexy. And one of those TNA just can't let this idea die things. TNA officials have had discussions with Rupert Bonham of Survivor fame in hopes of signing him to work. It's probably Bonham, but uh, the E is there, so I'm going to pronounce it. It's Bonham. Bonham. <laughs> In hopes of signing him to work a match against Johnny Fairplay at the November 7th pay-per-view. Dixie Carter is a big advocate of the match because she is a fan of Survivor and believes the match will appeal to the casual and even non-wrestling fans. What's the difference between the casual and the non-wrestling fans? I guess the casual fan is someone who does not watch but has an interest in wrestling. And non-wrestling fans is somebody who does not watch but has no interest in wrestling but may watch because a Survivor character they like is doing something elsewhere. You fell in my trap of advocating for the casual fan, Garrett. I advocate for the non-wrestling fans. (laughs) That's us, actually. However, Rupert's asking price is rumored to be $40,000. That's Kevin Nash money. That's probably more than Kevin Nash money. And he's playing hardball by telling TNA officials that he's already been offered that amount to work a match against Fairplay for a rival promotion once Fairplay's contract expires, which feels like utter bullshit. I saw um old uh, Johnny Fairplay on fucking Rogan's goddamn show, Fear Factor. Oh, I thought you meant like literally Joe Rogan's podcast. I was like, no, Johnny, no! <laughs> no, I never watched that. Um... Yeah, and some woman punched him. Because <laughs> I, I think she was doing like a, a swimming challenge where she was like drowning, and then like he was just heckling her the whole time. I appreciate his commitment to being a TV heel. Yeah, and Rogan's like, he was doing a strategy, don't assault him. <laughs> oh, Johnny Fairplay. There, there's something there with that dude, but the like five times he showed up and did promos, he was kind of terrible, so... I don't know. I think he I think he found his life's calling, which was to be a reality TV show heel. And it just it didn't really translate to wrestling. Like I think that's ex- I think that's all it ever was going to be. And unfortunately that's not a sustainable path, but it was his. And I think ultimately his biggest problem is I don't think he's actually charismatic. I think he's charismatic around regular people, but he's not <laughs> yeah. charismatic around people who perform for a living. Yeah, he's he's just not larger than life enough for pro wrestling. He's your so he friend just... who's funny, but couldn't mm. do stand-up. Right. Meanwhile, Jeff Jarrett and other members of the office have spoken out against the match because they don't care for fair play and don't understand the appeal of Survivor. One, alright, you don't care for fair play, but Survivor's like the best reality show of all time. Come on. Yeah, I've never seen much Survivor. Survivor rules, and it rules in a way that is actually timeless. It's not one of those things that like outplays, outstays its welcome. You can watch like a new season of Survivor now, and it's like, nah, this show still rocks. Like it, it is a timeless television format. 
Well, we, we see that because isn't that one of the shows that constantly like cut into dynamite ratings or whatever? Yeah, it still does numbers now, like over twenty years into its run. Hmm. Does the same guy still host it? Yeah, it's still Jeff Probst. Hell yeah! Fair Play's biography was removed from the TNA website over the weekend, so his status we with the do company Garrett versus Liam Survivor is up in the air at this time. What we go to a desert island and we fight to the death. I would lose comprehensively, but that's not how Survivor works. It's a it's a game of the mind. We play checkers and the loser gets shot in the face. My favorite thing about Survivor is like it is a game of the mind. It's a game of politics. But there is the odd time where someone's like, I'm super jacked and I can win all the challenges. So I'm just going to win immunity for as long as I can. And then they go on runs of winning immunity by winning the challenges. And then they lose one and they get voted out. It's like, yeah, yeah, you sucker. Yeah, you got to be a... A schema. So T- TNA are still make, trying to make this reality match work, and uh, it never does. Still no Mike the Miz Mizanin. He was also on that fucking Fear Factor episode! Was it just reality stars? Yeah, it was, it was reality stars representing different um, television shows. Mm. He was the real world team, and uh, Fair Play was obviously the Survivor team. Did either of the pro wrestling men win? I, I didn't watch the full episode, I watched the clip. Have you ever watched the WWF episodes of The Fear Factor? Um, no, I watched the WWF episode of Silent Library. Oh, I, was gonna, I thought you were going to say Weakest Link, which is also very enjoyable. I have seen the Weakest Link one. We should do a Patreon show just watching WWE reality show things. And TNA was on Family Feud one, so we can throw that one in. I think I've seen that too. I just want to watch Spin Cycle. Well, we can. The greatest reality show of all time. There has been clear increased disagreement between Jeff Jarrett and his father, Jerry Jarrett, about the direction of the company in recent months. Jerry has less and less involvement as time goes on in the project. Uh. And, now that, and now that there aren't weekly events in Nashville, he may get out entirely. He doesn't own any of the promotion and has been helping out because his son has financial stake in the company. He is telling people he has the promoting bug again and is going to begin running weekly Saturday events with co-promoter and longtime friend Bert Prentice in Nashville at the fairgrounds, basically filling in where TNA is leaving off, where the weekly pay-per-views have been taking place. The promotion, called USA Pro Wrestling... Terrible name. <laughs> ...will use much of the same talent that is driving distance and affordable that TNA has been using, but probably not his son. Uh, there, there is some speculation that like he, he, he basically thinks TNA is wrong to be leaving Nashville and wants to prove them wrong. But if you read Burt Prentice's book, he talks a lot about how they couldn't promote in Nashville anymore, especially in that building, because TNA scorched the earth giving away free tickets. And so Jerry being like, I'll show you, we're not giving away any free tickets, ended up not being able to sell tickets because they, again, they burned the market out. Mm. They will produce a TV show which began airing on WNAB-TV in Nashville this past Saturday in time slot previously occupied by TNA Explosion. I wonder if we could track down a couple of those episodes. Find the USA Pro Wrestling. There is that YouTube channel that was posting a lot of Nashville uh, adjacent stuff, particularly like, uh, of course, the the stuff that aired on uh, the TNA stuff that aired on networks there, but other like indie stuff that aired on networks there. It's where the Punk and Cole Cabana match finally showed up. So there's there's probably some stuff on that, I'd imagine. Maybe we can have a little look around. Uh, Jerry is not the only person disagreeing with his son these days. The frustration with the creative direction of TNA is widespread. Although most wrestlers are too concerned with their job security to say anything to Jeff Jarrett or anybody else in power, some of the company's top wrestlers are even grumbling with friends in the locker room. 
When is the company going to start doing business? One wrestler asked while venting his frustration. The company is crumbling. They have to pull the trigger on Jeff and Dutch. The wrestler added that although the office believes the frustrations are limited to a few disgruntled wrestlers, it's much more widespread than that. It's the whole locker room, says the wrestler, according to PW Torch. This is a reoccurring theme. There's about four other notes. We'll read to you in a moment. That the pressure is piling up on uh, founder of the company, Jeff Jarrett, to start delivering creatively or just get the fuck out of creative. Well, yeah, it's not like they're taking very big swings in creative, are they? No, and yeah, you, you could justify it if you're like, we're, we're just trying this thing. You know, we're, we're doing this new idea and, and we're hoping it works out. They're just not doing anything. And the show is badly booked and it revolves around Jeff. And everything seems to be booked around Jeff. So you do reach the point where everybody else in the company is like, what the fuck are we doing here? This is kind of just what ends up happening in every pro wrestling company, you know? When you have guys like Jared and Dutch just kind of... I, I don't even want to say, like, book, booking bad... It's not booking at all. It's just... <laughs> It's so weird. It's such a nothing show. Yes. The anti-Jarrett and Dutch sentiment continues to grow in the locker room. Wrestlers resent the fact that Jarrett is pushing himself as the centerpiece of the promotion, and even more so that he continues to treat them as if they should feel indebted to the company for booking them. Dixie has to get rid of the biggest problem, which is Jeff, one wrestler said. Others have pointed out that even top wrestlers with the best contracts are quote-unquote miserable, America's Most Wanted have been complaining about their push for weeks, and even AJ Styles is said to be unhappy with the company's direction. So, even AJ, who is famously, like, the most loyal man on Earth, like, he will go to the ends of the Earth for you and not question anything, is being like, God, this is a bit shit, isn't it? Yeah, like I said, I don't think it, it feels like it's a bad thing, it just feels like no one's got anything meaningful going on. Uh, Speaking of that, Raven is in the doghouse and has major heat with Jeff Jarrett and Mantell for complaining to Dixie Carter. You'd think people would have figured out the score on that one from what happened with Johnny Fairplay. To be fair, Raven has a lot more pull in this company than Johnny Fairplay does. Raven isn't Johnny Fairplay. I think when Raven says the booking sucks as opposed to Johnny Fairplay saying the booking sucks, I'd take a little more credibility from Raven. They should put Raven in charge. Yeah, like a wrestling genius Raven. Put Raven and Dusty in charge. Let things get crazy. Well, they might do one of those things. Raven. <laughs> uh, Conan and the Jarrett's had a blowout this week. You could see it was coming after Conan's appearance on Wrestling Observer Live as he talked about how he and BG James have more name recognition than almost anyone on the roster. They get a better reaction in Nashville and Orlando than almost anybody, but never get any major storylines. The company's feeling has always been they are good for a pop, but TNA was afraid to book them in major programs because of the in-ring. True. Both were aware of it and got in better shape and have performed better. No! At least based on the glimpses Dave has seen. He's not seen enough of them. And get a good reaction from live crowds as anybody, particularly in Orlando, where you have a lot of people coming who don't know the new guys. Conan complained about how they get strong reactions and both he and James has gotten into better shape and can do promos but haven't been moved to the top. This came after they complained they were put into the Dusty Rhodes storyline as a backdrop. Conan was on the air with frustrations about getting Jeff and Mantel to listen to his complaints. He complained that it become like WWE, where they cut everyone off booking-wise so nobody can rise to the top, and was mad because he felt he'd done good promos and the stuff his stuff had gotten over, but he's done nothing but run-ins on these shows. Like, Trio K, the, their role most often on all these shows is to run out to stop a beatdown. 
Which is honestly the best way to book him because I don't want to see them <laughs> wrestle. Like he's not wrong in that he is probably one of the more over people on the show. Like his catchphrases do get over. Conan was a legit star in WCW, a legit part of the Wolfpack, a legit like upper mid card guy who got great reactions every single night in WCW while during a period where millions of people were watching. Same with BG on the flip side in the WWF as a catchphrase guy who got over there and who people had a fondness for until they started tweeting constantly. Um, so like they're not entirely wrong in that like they are two guys who have name recognition and to be fair in TNA even are getting over but also the point of you just never want to see them wrestle. Yeah, uh, like, and plus, as soon as they do wrestle, it's not like they're killing it when they get the opportunity. So it's it's hard to really get behind anything that they say here. I I wouldn't mind the idea of like Conan and Ron like doing stuff together, but I have no time for BG. And Conan is good for a couple spots, but he's not like um, I'm excited for him to come burn it down either. So you know. Eh. Yeah, and like in theory, the idea of Trio K is that even though you have the two not very good people, you do have Ron there too. But that hasn't really worked out that way, has it? Yeah. Also, they just don't really work as a trio at all. They don't even like use them as a trio. It's a tag team and a singles that are loosely aligned at this point. Yeah, so like the, the, you can't even apply the theory of like Ron does the heavy lifting, wrestles most of the match, while those two hit their high spots. Like they don't even do that. No. Uh, there is also legit heat between Vince Russo and Jerry Jarrett. When it comes to those two, you also have to be suspicious, I guess. Jarrett wrote something in his new book, uh, which we read uh, verbatim earlier on the show in the 2002 episodes, uh, basically calling Russo a horrible fraud, saying some of the early scripts looked like something put together on L- LSD. Russo found out and was upset, both publicly responding, saying that shows why he thinks the wrestling business is the worst in the world. And he also wrote a private email to Jerry saying he couldn't understand how one Christian could do that to another Christian. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> There is fear that Jared has been pushing things too hard and didn't give himself enough time to recover from heart surgery as he was back in hospital over the weekend, which is... Jerry, look after yourself. Also, Vinnie Rue, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he's a Christian man. How could he say that about Vinnie Rue? Christian's notorious for not uh, judging or passing judgment. Yeah, especially Christian Cage. Ah. He judges Jungle Boy very harshly. He does. He's looking at him all the time, being like, you failure of a son. I want to fuck your mom. Your dad's dead. Ha <laughs> ha. What a character. And as if all of this wasn't bad enough for Jeff, as if basically everyone in the company thinking he's no longer fit to run the company, a glass pipe considered drug paraphernalia was found in Jeff Jarrett's luggage at the Nashville airport earlier this month. Who planted this? <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that like we're fucking sick of this guy. Let's sully his public image by planting drug paraphernalia on him that'll get caught in the airport so that he'll be removed from his booking position. It's but like that's definitely what happened, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> airport police were involved, but in the end Jeff was neither charged nor cited. He said he didn't know how it got in there. He should just be like, uh guys, I work in the wrestling industry. And they were like, ah yeah. <laughs> Fair enough, move along, sir. There was no drug residue in the pipe and no drugs found in the rest of his luggage, which was searched. There was great concern within TNA at first that this would damage Jarrett's reputation. (laughs) Then they realized no one cared. (laughs) 
and could affect his image with cable networks in the future. It didn't turn into a big media story. Uh, a wrestling message board in Tennessee was the first to break the story, and since then it's been reserved to just wrestling websites. So, all sorts of schemes to get Jared out of the book. <laughs> I mean, I love a scheme. What can I say? TNA cancelled its September 14th Impact tapings in Orlando at Universal Studios due to concerns from a potential third hurricane in the area. Uh, it's thoroughly hurricane season because the, the, the Don West mentions earlier in the month that like, thank you to all the fans who came out despite the hurricane. And now they're like, no, we're going to cancel this one. The hurricane. No, this one was Ivan, not Helms. With many Floridians evacuating and tourism down, there may have been no crowd even if the wrestlers did show up. There was talk of the potential cancellation last week at the final Thursday taping in Orlando, and the decision was made final on Friday, at which point some of the wrestlers were told by office workers Bob Ryder and Tim Welsh. TNA tapes extra matches, usually two or three at every impact taping. Those matches will begin to be used for Explosion, TNA syndicated program, but may be used to fill the gaps on this episode. The plan is to get back with the first First Tuesday taping on September 21 as they begin promoting their November 7th Victory Road pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. So that resulted in a, a weird Frankenstein impact, <laughs> which was the uh, September 17th episode, which was a combination of matches taped for Explosion and matches that had already broadcast. <laughs> um, so that episode's really funny because the first episode, the first match on that show was the one that I messaged you about the production being different? Oh, well then, nope, it's the same thing. <laughs> cuz it was cuz no, cuz it was the six man, right? That I think was filmed from it might, I think it was filmed like uh right after the on the last week's episode because then immediately after that, the production quality dropped back down to being saturated and like washed out. <laughs> I was like, this is very confusing for me. <laughs> That six man originally aired on uh, the second episode of Impact back in June. Did it? Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Did you not even notice PD didn't have the X title with him? I did not. So yeah, it was PD, Bobby Roode, and uh, Eric Young against Heavy Metal, Abysmal, Matt Negro, I, and I Mr. Aguilar. I noticed Aguilar. the Elite Guard coming out in that episode, and I was like, hmm. Yeah, because another match on that show, the other non-new match, quote-unquote, was Jarrett against Lex Lovett, which originally aired on the July 30th episode, which was funny to me in that, like, that match is Jarrett wins, and then he ends shouting about Monty and Jeff Hardy. Which they frame it like, oh, he's calling out the challenges. Uh, and I think that the, this match aired before it was the Monty Hardy number one contenders match on the, the, the Nashville show. But yeah, they're like, oh, look, he's calling out his challengers. It's funny how, like, evergreen some of this stuff is. Want to know a fun fact? Shoot. First time this match aired, I gave it a 2 out of 5. Second time it aired, I gave it a 1.5. Oh, what does that tell you? Okay, what did you give to the 6-man? That's an interesting question. 2-2-5. And I hope you're inconsistent. 2! It's better the second time round, you tell me, Liam. What can I say? I picked it up. <laughs> Mm. Did you purposely go back and make sure you matched your ratings? You're damn right I did. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I was in a different mindset. That's interesting. That's I actually interesting. I kinda like the Jeff Jarrett Lex Lovett match for a mm. 1.5. It's an interesting insight into Liam's mentality when watching these shows. Mm. Maybe it's not the matches that are bad, but Liam's willingness to give them a chance. Wow. I really enjoyed the, these impacts because they were really easy to watch. <laughs> Keep what I just said in mind when we're talking about a certain America's Most Wanted Triple X feud. Just, just saying, guys. Just, 
Just keep it in mind. The other two matches on that show was, was a Kid Cash and Dallas against Amazing Red and Chris Sabin match, which was taped uh, September 9th uh, before Impact Cash won the Frog Splash. And then the main event, which was like a brief reprieve for Goldilocks, who uh, we will talk about <laughs> will, will not be appearing anymore, but suddenly popped up on this episode to, because AJ Styles faced Alex Shelley in the main event. In the match of the month. That was taped on August 27th and aired here. And if the hurricane didn't hit, that match probably would have never aired. So there you go. I'm glad I enjoyed that match. I was thinking it, they were damn lucky that they didn't have a bis at ringside for that one because then they couldn't have used it. <laughs> well, they would have just changed some shit. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the weird September 17th episode. If you ever watch that episode and hey, you realize, hey, I've seen this Team Canada against Heavy Metal Abyss when I grow in Mr. Aguilar match before. You're not Liam, for one. And two, that's the reason. Hurricane hit, they had to put together an episode with previously used matches and a couple of unaired explosion style matches. I noticed it with the Jeff, the Jeff match. Mm. the Jeff match I noticed that and which is why I was so confused about the production thing because I, I was like I, I think part of the reason I didn't notice the opener was I thought it was new production because <laughs> yeah they did get new cameras but I think it's more for the backstage stuff because I didn't notice any difference so I was like I know that there was a note they got new cameras but I thought it was for like pre-tape and post-production stuff not shooting I just thought things looked a little brighter they're clearly putting more money into these impact tapings at the start yeah Sabu is out indefinitely with cysts in his back and a viral infection. As mentioned, I think last month, we're not going to see Sabu for a good while until over halfway through 2005. TNA president Dixie Carter is pregnant. She has no prior children. There has been typical TNA. Like, the woman's pregnant. They're like, how does that affect us? (laughs) There have been some concern within TNA that becoming a mother could move her priorities from making a money-losing wrestling promotion succeed to other matters like, you know... Her fucking children. (laughs) But those who know her best say that she remains steadfast in saying she and her family are committed to the TNA project for the long haul. TNA is said to have a one or two year commitment at Universal Studios. So Dixie's pregnant. Congratulations to Dixie. Yeah, congratulations for 15 years ago. Yes, for your child who's now in high school. (laughs) Oh no, that that child's 18. That child is an adult. (laughs) Should be starting in the the, uh, Impact Dojo. He's 17 based on when she gave birth. But yeah, God, that's upsetting. (laughs) After the final Wednesday taping in Nashville, wrestlers were encouraged by Jeff Jarrett to go out into the crowd and sign autographs. Styles, Hardy, D-Ray, Sharkboy, and Amazing Red were among those signing autographs to say goodbye to the Nashville fans. Shout-outs to Jeff for doing it. He he, he got a big dog there. He could have been like, nah. Yeah, he didn't have to, but like, yeah. Apparently, there's a lot of talk that Jeff is pretty down-to-earth in this run and pretty... Up for actually working for TNA as opposed to just taking money. Speaking of people who want to work for TNA. Diamond Dallas Page desperately wants to work for TNA, but Jared remains opposed to the idea of hiring him. Jared's biggest concern is that Page's ego will insist that he get a mega push. You're bringing in the outsiders. (laughs) Which other wrestlers find funny as they see similarities between Jared's concerns over the way Page wants to be pushed and the way Jared books himself. Owned. Fucking owned. Realistically, Jarrett sees... I, like, the DDP, you could go all in a DDP more than you could go all in a Jeff Jarrett. DDP's an actual oh, for star. for sure. 
But Jarrett's like, he'll want to be pushed and that'll eat into my push. So let's not bring him in, even though we desperately need name stars. Uh, several TNA wrestlers have been ignoring the company's policy regarding independent bookings ever since the company announced the decision to end the Wednesday night pay-per-views. Everybody's doing it, said one wrestler, who doesn't feel guilty not informing the office of his indie dates because they cut three paychecks a month by making the taping change. So like, eh, we're not giving you our cut, you're not giving us enough, enough money, and I hope they're like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's basically what we, we said last time too, was that there needed to be some changes with that system. Hmm. TNA wrestler Johnny Devine underwent four hours of surgery after being stabbed during a bar fight on Sunday in Nashville. Andy Douglas of the Naturals tag team in TNA was stabbed in the leg but didn't require surgery. The two wrestlers got involved in a fist fight during which the other men pulled out knives. Nobody has been arrested. The incident received media coverage in Winnipeg, where Devine is from. Cool. I thought this might be the last we see of Johnny Devine because he's not really a regular again until 06. But we do see a little bit of him toward the end of 04 and start of 05 before he basically disappears for a year. Imagine how big of a story this would be now. Uh, a wrestler getting stabbed going into surgery? Yeah. And even Andy Douglas is there too? <laughs> it's Andy Douglas and Johnny Devine. Yeah, this stuff doesn't really happen anymore, does it? No. I guess wrestlers are, are more low-key these days. They're not going drinking and fighting as much as they used to. Yeah, yeah. all they do is... They go to the cancelled Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym, they roll around, and then they go eat, like, fucking Panera bread. And they go home and they play fucking virtual pro wrestling too. Yeah, and then stream to their fans. Yeah. They don't even do hardcore drugs anymore. (laughs) What's the point? Oh my god, I am turning into a Territories guy. (laughs) Yeah, you're becoming Jim Cornette pilled. I really am! Like, all I've been doing is watching Territory Wrestling, and I even downloaded a Jeff Gornet podcast. Why? Oh, oh, oh. In my defense, it was the 89 WCW retrospective. It wasn't any of his modern stuff. I don't care about hearing him do a gimmick where he hates modern wrestling. Back in the day when podcasts were but a, a, a mere folly... There, Jim Cornette did have one then too with uh, Bill Barron's that I listened to a bunch of where they just talked about old wrestling. Yeah, I, I love Cornette as a historical, as a as a historian. He's great in that aspect. I just don't care about his like modern views and his racist videos. Mm. <laughs> no, what I'm hearing is you endorse everything about Jim Cornette. What I'm trying to say is I'm a member of the Cult of Cornette. All of our thumbnails and posters are now going to become South Park style. Oh my god, I really want to make one now. Uh, which, by the way, our, our, our Victory Road poster, which you won't see for two weeks, that poster rocks. I've seen it, guys. Where's Cornette coming in? I want to start putting over Jim Cornette. Yeah, you'll have to wait till mid-06. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Isn't it weird that like now we're that far away from 06 as we were to, like from 05 at the start? Yeah, like we're closer to Cornette debuting than we were to now when TNA started. So I am so excited for like the next five years of the covering this fucking promotion. Mm, because it's either good or insane, which is, yeah. again, the two good things. Like, it's really going to be boring from this point on. It's just going to be fucking nuts and we're going to make us mad or it's going to be good, or it's just going to be funny. As uh, We were talking about this. I think 2011 is the next time we'll be like, this promotion is boring, please do something. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll be dead by then. Jerry Lynn is recovering from shoulder surgery, stemming from an injury caused by Juventud Guerrero, who did not protect Lynn while performing the Hoobie Driver a few months ago. And now he's going to wrestle Chris Jericho. 
Do you think they're actually doing that match? Probably not. I think he's just going to attack ROH champs, and then Nigel can wrestle him or something. Jerry is 60. Yeah. And he took the safest tombstone in the world. He did. Which, like, I'm not shitting on. You should. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Jerry Lynn will see once in 05, and then not until the end of 06. I was thinking, watching this, how it's, like, the end of it, you know? Yeah, this is the end of Jerry Lynn's run as a regular. We'll only see shorter runs uh, uh, as a one-off in 05, uh, a little bit of a run in 06, 07, and then the return in 2011. But, yeah, this is Jerry Lynn, is the, who was, like, a fixture of these Asylum days, is no longer a fixture of TNA. I was, um... That was part of the whole, like, me watching the... Uh, PD thing and thinking of how this feels like TNA now and part of that it was me reflecting on uh, Jerry being gone as well. It was like that Jerry was a very NWA TNA guy mm. and now we're in TNA and he's not really part of that. There, like, there is a, a substantial shift like over the next few months you'll see a lot of the the Asylum acts that weren't any good fade away. <laughs> like, and also one that was the best acting company history. Uh, Goldie, yeah that's sad. But, yeah, seeing Lynn fade away and the likes of, you know, Watts and Goldie and Gilberti and Scott Hudson and Swinger and Diamond. Diamond hangs around. But a lot of those people who have been relative fixtures for a while just kind of disappear. Most of them I'm not too broken up about. Scott Hudson and Goldie. The interviewers are the ones you're, you're really broken up about. Yeah. I think Scott Hudson does some of the pay-per-views. I, I can't remember when exactly Scott Hudson is done. I don't think we've seen the last of him, but we're getting close. Well, he's really good at his job. It's sad to see him go. The worst part is he's better than Franchise at the job. Oh, for sure. And that that's a bummer. But Franchise like, has a name. Does he? <laughs> he has kind of a name. As a backstage interviewer, though? I know, but like, there is something to be said about going, Ooh, look, at Shane Douglas. That's the guy who threw down the NWA title, remember that? That's my impersonation of the casual wrestling fan. Ooh, look, it's Scott Hudson. Oh, look at me, look at Scott Hudson. From, that guy from WCW nothing for the FBI. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Las Vegas is out as a location for the first pay-per-view. It was the first choice, but when found out, there was a hockey game there right before at the Orleans Arena of Global Force Wrestling <gasps> fame. My god. Jeff really just does the same fucking shit over and over again, doesn't he? He, he has like three ideas. <laughs> uh, but because there was a hockey game the night before, they didn't have adequate setup time. They also talked about Norfolk or Fort Hood, Texas, because they'd be able to draw a military crowd and let servicemen in for free. It ultimately ends up in Orlando. So there you go. I watched a Clash of the Champions that was held in front of a rowdy military crowd. Was it good? Yeah, it was a good crowd. The main event was Funk and Steamboat. Uh, I feel like companies don't really do that anymore. Being like a, uh, even WWE, uh, like you know, uh, tribute to the troops is a less big thing than it used to be. It's like an add-on to a show these days, as opposed to being like we're gonna fly the entire roster over to Iraq. Yeah, they should um, send him to the streamers instead. They no longer support the troops. They gotta su- send him to Twitch HQ. <laughs> our real heroes. Uh, our content creators. Yeah, our content creators. Braver than the troops. Tribute to the content creators. Tribute to the gamers. No, it's too far. They, <laughs> you gotta send them to our esports leagues. No. <laughs> In front of our esports troops. 
we can sit at our analyst, our State Farm analyst desk, and it would be so much fucking fun to send like a wrestling crew to like a like a an esports like a sponsored house and just watch them playing games on their PCs, <laughs> just watching them play like Overwatch Two and League. <laughs> would it be fun though? I'd be fun for me because I hope they send like not like. Woods and Cole, like people who would be into it. I want them to send like Sting. Yeah, Sting, Michael Cole, um, Jim Ross, Johnny Swinger, uh, all of Abyss. the gamers. Yeah, Abyss just showing up all together. The gamers gaming together. Then they make him do like a fight. Put send Taz. <laughs> make him do a 5v5 versus the, the esports gamers. Taz is talking about all the tips his son Hook has given him. What do you think Hook's game of choice is? Hmm. Because he's a young dude, so he probably did play games. But he feels to me a guy who does just play Call of Duty. Yeah, he does seem like a... Oh, well, I've finished work today. Time to relax with some Call of Duty. Yeah. I'm gonna sit down, log on with the boys, drink a white claw, and shout some racial slurs. Not that we would suggest Hook would ever do such a thing. Of course not. I'm just talking of his ilk. <laughs> just the general gamer stereotype. Specifically the Call of Duty stereotype. Dropping hours into Warzone. Mm, where are we dropping, boys? Yeah. Do you think he plays Fortnite? Or do you think he's like one of those guys who's like, Oh, Fortnite is for losers because there's building. I think he's like Fortnite is for babies. I play the real games like PUBG and War Warzone. I I don't think he plays PUBG. I do think he plays Warzone. <laughs> I think he plays the Call of Duty game on his phone. Mm. Oh no! <laughs> oh, I think he I think he's backstage at AW playing Warzone on his phone. We're back for the podcast. This is coming in during our intermission. Just want everyone to know to please donate to the Red Bubble so I can buy one of those cool fans that don't make any noise as we're about to enter summer here. Um, again, only do this if you're rich. Uh, if you're rich, I don't care that you give me your money, uh, but please do. I would like a big dumb fan that doesn't make noise. We mean rich as in wealthy, not rich Crage. All rich Crage, you know, technically is my boss, I guess. So, you know, write it off on tax or something. I don't know how you guys work that system. All right, now put it in. <laughs> Alrighty, that brings us to broad topics. We're going to be a little lighter this month because there's only two pay-per-views and then three impacts, one of which is like a basically non-canon hurricane episode. Also, we're not going to talk about a bunch of squash matches. Yeah, and the other two of which are... Like, the first two weeks of a nine-week build to a pay-per-view, so there's not, like, a, a ton of meat on them, but we will talk about them nonetheless. We'll start with Dusty, because that's one of the shorter stories, and it'll lead into Jarrett and Hardy. So, we, we had the continuation of Liam's favorite story. It's heel Dusty Rhodes? Oh, it's definitely heel. He's a whiny bitch who pokes his nose into everyone else's business, and I'm sick of him. Liam is sick of Dusty Rhodes, a, a lack of authority. Or he's no, I, I I'm sick of his uh his incredulous in self-imposed authority. You you don't think he should be interfering in Vince Russo's decision making? No, he has no authority. There's no he, like he he's making matches, he's stopping things, he's interfering, he's showing up when he. Vince was very nice to him that one week. He's like, hey man, you know, just take a week off, come back in next week, we'll get it all sorted. And he still had to fucking poke his nose in. 
Yeah, so if you remember, Dusty has been suspended. He was suspended in the last show of the last month for all of his antics. Vince Russo was finally fed up of him. He suspended him for one week. So September 1st, the weekly pay-per-view, NWA TNA pay-per-view number 110, was the show in which he was meant to be suspended. Hudson had Russo. He was like, Dusty suspended. Well, well there's definitely going to be a new champ next week in the title match. And Trail K were meant to have a, a six-man tag. It was meant to be G- BG Conan and Dusty against Team Canada. But they were like, oh no, we're going to be a man now. But we've got the new member of Trail K here, a new mystery partner. Who the fuck could it be? Uh, backstage, Trail K in a promo said, tonight is the end of the American dream. Yes. And the beginning of the American nightmare. And Conan does a promo about how you're not a wrestler if you, like, learn a bunch of holds. You're not a wrestler if you do a bunch of tape study. It's like, we have been on the road 300 days a year with broken marriages, concussions, and go- we've been to drug rehab. That's pro wrestling, baby. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. Like, that is the actual promo Conan cuts. Yeah. I mean, I, I-, I took note. I was like, yeah, right. It's the first, like, 3LK promo that my ears perked up for. Oh, you were like, drug rehab? I think, you know, because they were perked up for it too, you know. So that leads us to the tag match in which BG James and Conan had the mystery partner, the debuting Midnight Rider. Yes. Um, I had just seen some of the some of the Midnight Rider stuff previously. So you jumped out of your chair at Territory Wrestling. I was like, yes! No, I, I got the bit. My favorite part of the entrance was... Don West on commentary, being like, The Midnight Rider, Dusty Rhodes! Pause. Panic. Is not here tonight because he's been suspended. <laughs> so now the Midnight Rider is here. It's unrelated. Because, like, Mike and Don had some fun on commentary, like, playing dumb. It's like, that's not Dusty. He's much slimmer than Dusty. Yeah. Where Scott Tamore freaked out, being like, Come on. Come on. It's Dusty. It's a good bit to do, like, the guy that is obviously the guy. Mm. And, like, the heel is the only person who will actually see it, while everyone else, even impartial, objective, babyface announcers, are like, it's the Midnight Rider, it's the guy from the 80s. Uh, you know, Mike Knight's like, I'm a big fan. Mm. So BG Pump handles Divine, and the Midnight Rider drops an elbow for the win, uh, and Don is like, I've never seen a move like that before. <laughs> yeah, this this was some fun stuff. It's it's good shtick, it's good antics. Uh, but then my, my, my least favorite thing is that he just shows up again at the end of the day. They couldn't just have this be the bit. Mm. They had to oversaturate it. I will say Dusty coming in and being like, Oh, jeez, I missed the Midnight Rider. <laughs> he was one of my faves, daddy. You think, um, how many people in that crowd understood the bit, like, knew Midnight Rider? I'd say in that Asylum crowd, probably like 60%. Hmm. Because like, I think that's one of the older skewing crowds in wrestling history. You look around that crowd and there's a lot of people in their 50s. Yeah. So I, I think there's a decent number of people who had either, either seen Midnight Rider stuff or were at least aware of it. That's fair enough. So yeah, Dusty interrupted the on-camera. Russo came out. He was mad that Dusty was there even though he was meant to be suspended. He asked Dusty, like, what do you want? Dusty said, I want the more one-on-one. But Russo banned Trail K from ringside, banned Team Canada from ringside, made himself special referee, and then booked Dusty versus Scott Demore next week. With the stipulation that if Dusty loses, he'll have to leave TNA. Good. Don West immediately repeated that stipulation, to which Dusty replied, 
I know that Danny West. I heard what he said. God, these two are great together. They should be on call. Get Mike Tanay out of here. Never mind the man who should be nominated to the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Get Don West and Dusty on the desk. That's perfect. Imagine the chaotic, like, childlike energy those two would bring. It would be insane. Hmm. So, Impact on September 3rd, Scott Demore had a squash match over Chase Rounds, and he won with a moonsault <laughs> and a demoralizer. Mm. And then he sang the anthem at uh, Dusty. So, what do you want to talk about, Chase uh, Rants, huh? I, I, I said the name very quickly so you wouldn't hear it. He did come out to the old AMW theme. Yeah, you want, you want to talk about him? Anything anything to say? Uh, when Scott Demore was being introduced, he made JB do the big introductions, which is not at all also associated with a problematic person, the, the over-the-top exaggerated introduction. Hmm. Uh, JB and Don West were aghast when Scott said uh, he weighed 203 pounds. When he re- when JB read it, he did like the look-up deadpan very well. And then uh, Don West on commentary, maybe when he was born. <laughs> so mean to Scott Demore. He was wearing the, the Bobby Roode, or, well, it's a Terry Taylor robe, but uh, Bobby Roode would go on to wear that red and black robe, so. And I, you know what, the, again, the very mean Scott Demore I test, the man is still a hunk. Yeah, hits a sweet moonsault, hits the demoralizer, which is just a cradle shock, uh, for the win. Yeah. Super worker Scott Demore deserves more respect from these people. By these people, we mean Mike Tanea Dunwest. And JB. True. Franchise had Dusty later in the show, and he did his little hard sell promo for the pay-per-view. And then next show, NWA TNA Baby number 111, the final Asylum show, September 8th. We did have the big match between Dusty Rhodes and Scott Demore. They both had backstage interviewer, interviews earlier in the show. Uh, Scott said that he, he he hates just the very concept of the American dream because it, it represents the selfishness of Americans. True. They all think that they deserve to be special, that they deserve to have their dreams achieved. And the more buried Dusty because he's like, he preaches about tradition and honor, and then he jumped to the Fed for a payday and wore polka dots, so he's full Ooh. of shit. <laughs> Ooh! Shooting on Dusty Rhodes. Then Dusty! Dusty did a promo right before his match where he talked about how he's rooting for Jeff Hardy to win because he was the guy who brought Jeff Hardy to TNA and. Wouldn't it be politically beneficial to him if the guy he did the deal for and brought into the company would then win the NWA title? So it's like, the, it, it's not even subtext that, like, Dusty's out for himself, he's being a little selfish. It's text. He says it out loud. Well, once again, uh, I was ahead of everyone else in the crowd. I knew that this guy was full of bullshit, and now he's gone out and just straight upset it. Your Vinny Rue defending ways are, are running rampant. I was proven right. So then he did have Dusty against Scott Demore, uh, a nice little match. It's, it's exactly what you think it is. Russo was a special referee. Russo kicked Trail K out. Dusty accidentally uh, elbowed Russo, even though if you <laughs> if you look at the way he did it, he looked right at Vince Russo as he elbowed him. <laughs> so like, I'd almost prefer to read that as he did do it on purpose. I think he can go either way with it. Yeah, so then Russo picked up his baseball bat, which was in the corner, and he teased hitting Dusty with it, but then he didn't. Dusty dropped an elbow, picked up the win. Dusty offered Russo a handshake, but before Russo could accept Team Canada attacks, then Vince Russo goes beast mode, pulls his shirt off, and does, like, chest bumps into Scott Demore before Trail K made the save. I think um, it was some good work to have this match be on this final 
NWA 18 a pay-per-view because they did make... It was a match that, like, you would expect to see on, like, a monthly pay-per-view schedule. Yeah, and, like, as a match on the final Asylum show, you have Dusty, who has been barring recent events, one of the highlights of the Asylum era against Scott Tabor. Vince Russo barring recent events has also <laughs> been one of the highlights. And you have Scott Demore, who has been one of the recent highlights of the company. Like, one of my bigger disappointments is, like, they, they didn't do anything to make the final Asylum show feel, like, imp- other than the fact, like, obviously they promoted the main event real hard as, like, the biggest match in TNA history. But they didn't do anything to make like it feel like a special night, you know, the final Asylum night. There was no, like, Asylum nostalgia. No recaps. No recaps, no video packages, no special guests. No, Not even any talk about this being the final Asylum show. Maybe because they didn't think it would be. Maybe they did think, uh, we'll come back for some pay-per-views, so we shouldn't like lean too hard into it being the end of the era. But it was the end of the era, and it kind of went unacknowledged. I think um, perhaps they thought if they played into it too much, the crowd might resent it. Yeah, because it was their biggest crowd in ages, 1,300 sellout. Don West mentions on TV the next week that, you know, they had a 1,000 fans turned away. It did, it looked packed on TV. It was the most packed it looked in a very long time. Yeah, I I could see a worry that maybe they thought the crowd would try and hijack the main event. To be mad that they're taking the show back to Orlando and it's like, you're abandoning us in our Nashville days. What would Chad think? What would Chad think? I hope Chad was there. I hope he booked the show. It would feel bad. What if Chad is Vince Russo? I'd be, I'd be stunned. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's the the most of the Dusty Russo stuff. There's some more stuff we'll talk about in a minute that mostly ties into the the number one contender story, the Jeff Hardy story. So that takes us back to the big NWA World Heavyweight Championship match that's been promoted for the best part of six weeks. It's the date with fate on September eighth. It is Jeff Jarrett versus Jeff Hardy for the NWA title. So. Not as good of a build as the Raven match. Mm-hmm. Not as good of a match as the Raven match. Mm-hmm. And that's about it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's not a but there, is there? <laughs> no. there's. I don't really have any positives to say. I appreciate that they did try to actually build to a match. Mm. They tried to do the thing that wrestling is supposed to do. Well, I think it's just something sorely missed from the product. Mm. So, NWA TNA favorite number 110. Jarrett opened the show. He did his, like, go-home promo. Called it the biggest match of both men's careers. Talks about how the eyes of the wrestling world will be on the match. It's the last Wednesday pay-per-view. But Hardy should be careful who he trusts. What could that mean? Uh, there's a little small thread that runs through this show and the next one where Jarrett's talking about how he has the figure four but Hardy has no answer to that. So main event of that show, there's the big brawl in the schmoz because that happens every week. Uh, Hardy made the save. Jarrett ran out. Uh, he locked the figure four, but then Hardy reversed the figure four into his own submission maneuver, Liam. The spine line. It's the, it's the, the TJP move. Yeah, so he crosses the legs and then does a Boston Crab. So it's either a Boston crab with the legs crossed or a scorpion death without the foot put through, however, however you'd like to describe it. I think uh, TJP calls it the figure four death lock. I think he does it better than Jeff Hardy does. <laughs> he does, for sure. I mean, I don't mind the move. I just, um, it looks a little awkward when Jeff does it. It looks like it's uh, kind of off kilter. I'm a little upset that Jeff didn't keep the spine line. It's only a thing he does in this feud with Jarrett freely. He didn't 
you know, break out the spine Everyone line. should have a submission finish that they can go to. Wish he was wrestling Triple H and he broke out the spine line. Imagine the pop that would get. From us. <laughs> Just us. It, we should go back... Oh my god. We should go back to Territory Wrestling, where everyone just does drop kick, scoop slam, figure four, and that's it. I, I did send you a DM recently being like, every wrestler should just have a cool finish and a catchphrase. Yeah. Well, a cool finish, a submission finish, and a catchphrase is basically it. So you're saying all Monty Brown is short is the submission finish? Yeah, then I'd be into him. <laughs> because you're not into Monty otherwise. Nah. He should turn the pounce into a submission. Should pounce them. And he should pounce into them and then catch them in a, a bear hug and then just run around with them. I was trying to work out how you pounce into a Koji clutch for some reason. <laughs> Whoa. Listen, it would be very impressive if you could do it. Like, pounce up and th- instead of throwing them off, you grab them into the bag and then he just keeps running. Mm. He never stops. And he, like, bashes them into the turnbuckle until they submit, which would cause a rope break, so it's not a very good submission, but... I don't, I don't think he like bashes them. I think he just picks them up and then runs in circles <laughs> with them in a bear hug. While rubbing his head on the rope, doing his Monty Brown head rub thing. No, again, that would cause a rope break. Uh, just uh, just improving on perfection here, clearly. Uh, September 3rd, Jarrett opened the Impact as well, doing another go-home promo. This is where he started mentioning that Hardy is an outsider and no outsider is welcome in TNA unless they're friends of his. <laughs> Hardy should keep his enemies close and his friends even closer. <laughs> there were a bunch of predictions throughout that show, the entire roster predicting the winner of Jarrett and Hardy. All the heels picked Jarrett and all the baby faces picked Hardy. Would you uh, be surprised at that? Um, no. <laughs> and that brings us to NWATNA baby number 111, September 8th. The main event, the final match of the Asylum era, the date would fade on September 8th for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. It was bad. There was a lot of discourse, particularly from Wade Keller, about the length of this match. <laughs> okay, what did he want it to be longer than this? So I'm going to read you a sentence and I'd like your immediate reaction to just the concept. After weeks of hype and setting expectations high, TNA should have booked 45 minutes for the <laughs> match. Jeff Hardy and Jeff Jarrett should have plotted a match that at least appeared to be striving to be a match of the year contender, says Wade Keller in the PW Wade. Torch. Wade, you, you, wanted, you wanted more of this? He wanted it to be approximately four times longer than it was, Liam. Wait. Wait, wait, do you want this to be a Carter Omega? Like, what, what, what's, your, what, what's your problem here, man? This match went 11 minutes, and he's like... And it was still too long. And it was still too long and no good. And Wade Keller looks at that <sighs> and says, it should have been 45 minutes. <laughs> Wade, what are you doing? Uh, it's madness. Madness. Apparently, it did run short. It was meant to go 14 and ended up going 11, so... Should have gone four. Yeah. Wade Keller, you madman. What do you want? What's wrong with you? Come on. It's a chaotic force. To hear Jared pay tribute to the legacy of the Asylum by doing one last Asylum brawl. And one and doing his bigger one-arm kick out, so... Yeah, so ref got bumped. I already hit the swanton, but Jared did his one-arm kick out when the ref did the slow count getting back in. Jared tried to leave. Dusty came out, tossed them back in. 
Once again, Dusty putting his fucking nose in other people's business. <laughs> Jared decked Dusty, so Dusty unloaded punches on him. Russo came out to shout DQ. at Dusty. Uh, referee was all distracted by the commotion between Russo and Dusty on the floor. Hardy looked to use Russo's bat, but Russo pulled it out of his hands. Okay, I have a real problem with this spot. Mm-hmm. Hardy picked up the bat. The referee saw him with his, with the bat in his hands and was like, I'm going to leave the ring now. As we explained on the watch along, Liam, when you go to referee school... And you sit down there and Earl Hebner teaches you about how to be a referee. Excuse me, I got my bachelor's in refereeing. Now there's like there's a, there's an order of operations where outside interference trumps foreign object. No, so, that's so, the opposite. So you deal with outside interference before you deal with foreign object. I mean, if yeah, but you saw the weapon in his hands. <laughs> but then you saw Dusty and Russo and it's like, oh, I gotta stop if that. If Jeff Hardy had a gun. Right. In the ring. Mm-hmm. Do you think it'd be more important to go to the outside? Who is more likely to meddle? Dusty Rhodes or Jeff Hardy's gun? Both. <laughs> it's Dusty and you know it's Dusty. No. But yeah, so Hardy grabbed the bat, but Russo pulled the bat out of his hands. Hardy missed the swanton. Jared hit him with a guitar and retained the NWA World Heavyweight title. This is my first ever third star. Uh, you gave it two and a third. I like the fact that this is the match. You could not decide between two and a quarter and two and a half. So you gave it two and a third stars. You know, sometimes you just gotta you gotta go out on a limb for something. You, you, just, you feel it in your bones. By the way, you can of course go to tnhad.com or patreon.com slash kidding me if you would like to see our star ratings. It's only $100 a month. It's a, a buck. You can get the star ratings. For well, what a deal that is! A single dollar you can get the star ratings. I would have been for sure pay up for paying a hundred bucks. You also get the ad-free episode on the one dollar tier. So it's wait, there's bloody more. Yeah, or you can get our other series such as Global Force Wrestling. What? You can get our Ring Cat King show. Ring Cat King. You can get review it for her. Our brand new The Wrestling Society X show. Well, that's a fantastic name. That we didn't come up with. Dude and Twitter did. Shut up. <laughs> and we have a New Japan series. Yeah, the Rain Takers is there too, as well as Watch Garrett, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Next thing, you're going to be telling me that we have like a YouTube channel which hosts all of our best clips. That's pretty much all of our clips, but yes. <laughs> Holy hell. God, if, if this podcast had some sort of red bubble... <laughs> <laughs> where you could donate. I know I would, for sure. Well, you said red bubble instead of red circle. That's for merch Fuck. rather than donations. Yeah, but... coming soon. You can also go to tnhn.com, patreon.com, slash kidding me if you'd like to get money in, in exchange for... If you'd like Good to get content services. in exchange for money, not the other way around. Wow. I, I cannot believe there's so many ways to connect to your best friends online. So, yeah. Jared Hardy. The match was fine. <laughs> See, the reason I did that there, okay? Because uh-huh. now when you clip this to put on the YouTube channel, because it talks about Jarrett and Hardy, you're going to have to put this large bit in the middle up on that video. Ah, but you see, you, you've made the mistake of it'll be right at the... I guess it'll be in the middle of the world title segment. So yeah, what I want to yeah. say about this Jeff Hardy, Jeff Jarrett match, right? <laughs> yeah, okay, go. Um, a big thing that I want to put of an interesting thought that I had was when they buddy finally got to the because they did the whole like pre-match brawl. Mm-hmm. Once they finally rang the bell and these dudes locked up, they had already killed the momentum. The crowd didn't pop for it. 
Yeah, because they did this weird thing where like they came out and they kept them brawling and security separated them. They kept them brawling. Well, they're and... trying to set it up like it was a like these guys hate each other and they can't wait to get at each other. Which I I don't buy for this feud, by the way. Of course not. It's a badly booked feud. JB was desperately trying to finish the introductions while they kept on brawling. Now you see, Garrett, what I did there was I actually brought up a point about the match now, so now you have to put that interlude in there. <laughs> the the thing like about Jeff Hardy, <laughs> it's like. He doesn't but What talk. is the thing about Jeff Hardy? He doesn't open his mouth. Okay, what about when he goes, ah? It's like, it's so strange that they spent like six weeks building to this match. They announced this match far in advance and they didn't let Jeff do a single promo. And like, fair enough, you might be like, we don't trust him in a, a middle of the ring setting because he's, he's traditionally not a great do promo. A pre-recorded one. Yeah, do a Mike Tanay one. Sit him down, let him just do like, be like charismatic, normal Jeff Hardy and do a hard sell that way. But like, your babyface contender who people love and is a legit star, you don't let do a promo for your big world title match? What are you doing? Maybe he just didn't want to. He didn't even say creatures once. He didn't. But it's more of a 2010 DNA thing. Creatures! He would like them to mount up. But, um, you know, the most important note of this entire match is that we got modest with the the lyrics in it for the big match. Oh, yes, which, thankfully, for some reason, actually, on the next impact, it was Styles and Hardy against the Naturals. It was back to the old version of Modest, and I was quite mad. But yes, Modest finally has lyrics, and we're gone from the terrible instrumental version of Modest. Obviously, the lyrics for Modest is, like, the big match theme. No, make it as always theme, because the other one is bad and this one is good. So the rest of the month begins the build to Victory Road on November 7th as we, we want to crown a number one contender. As mentioned, Styles and Hardy have a match against the Naturals. Perfectly fine. Styles, Styles hits Sandy Douglas. I thought it was a good reintroduction for their first show. Back. Uh, yeah, Styles hits a brain buster on Douglas. Hardy falls with a swanton. Thumbs up. Uh, Jeff Hammond does his six points of impact, talking about the reasons Jeff Jarrett beat Jeff Hardy. <laughs> Number one, he's booking the show. <laughs> that should have been it. <laughs> See what they edited out. Because <laughs> uh, most of these Jeff Hammond things are on location. He had like Elliot Sadler there, who I believe is brother of Hermie, I want to say. Ugh. And he's like, I respect wrestlers. Um, I'll give, um, I want to give a little positive to the impact shows. Mm-hmm. They're not 75 matches anymore. Yeah, they're, they're usually only four instead of, I think one of them was seven at one stage. It's like, good yeah. lord, how are you squeezing that much content? But they, they've stripped them back down to four because there's more promos and angles on them now because they're building the pay-per-views. And I feel like they give a bit of a chunkier main event. Uh, and even a chunkier opener on some of them as well. Yes, I, I, think, um, I think that's been a good change. Like, Styles and Hardy against the Naturals, doesn't end up being a particularly competitive match, but it is like the team who were just tag champs against the two top baby faces in the company. I also thought it was a pretty good match. I had fun with that one. So Jeff Jarrett comes out, he gloats that he retained over Hardy, he has both a bandage over his eye, because to fair to him, he did do a pretty good blade job in that Hardy match. Mm. And he also had a black eye. There was dueling chants of we want Hardy, we want Monty, as Jarrett says, line up the challengers, he'll beat them all, maybe even bring in some outsiders. Or did he already? So beat this him is to the, the point where like Jeff Jarrett jumped the shark for me. Uh, that was for me like two months ago. But go ahead. <laughs> Again, um, I was watching this promo and I was like, man, I just do not give a fuck about this guy. Mm. And he's not like compelling or interesting or tough or cool looking or anything. He's just a guy who happens to have the world title. Yeah, I think he'd be fine as a mid card heel. 
I think he'd actually probably excel because he'd bring some like gravitas to it. But as the top champion in the company, it just doesn't work for me. And he has none of like the charm or occasional silliness that you actually enjoy to heal Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, when he's a goofball, he's great. Whereas here, he's just like dead serious. I'm Jeff Jarrett. I'm NWA champion. I'm the best wrestler. I'm ace. And it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're just not. You're not that guy. You will never be that guy. Yeah, it's very frustrating. So he's still talking about whether or not Russo should bring in some outsiders. <laughs> Who could it be? Uh, the next show had Jarrett in a squash against Lex Lovett, which was a match re-aired from earlier in the year because of the hurricane. Also to feature on who will be Jeff Jarrett's next contender. And then last show of the month, feature on Jarrett. Jarrett came out. Mike Tanay questions whether Russo could be meeting with an outsider because Russo wasn't at that show because he was trying to decide who the next contender would be. Jarrett did a promo. He wants to know right now who he'll face at Victory Road. It reinforces the outsider a bit over and over again. Monty interrupts. Monty says not to worry about Raven or Hardy because he needs to worry about Monty. Jarrett, again, repeating the same shit every week. Does the double-A ball player not make it in the major leagues? But it must be a bit at this point. That he's, like, repeating the same three lines over and over again? Yeah, like, he's doing it so much that it has to be, like, that's the joke. Mm. Uh, he says that the ring is a mountain rather than a Serengeti, and that he is the king of it. No, the ring is a movie, Jeff. Yeah, he's going to watch that tape and be killed by Sue Young. He's going to watch the really cool, awesome uh, American remake. Of what? The ring. Isn't isn't that the version oh, everybody watches, though? <laughs> oh, no, Garrett. I didn't even know there's a Japanese movie. <laughs> oh, Garrett. I have only seen the American remake. I'm sorry, Liam. I'm trying to work out if it was Japanese or Korean. There's so many The Rings I'm learning right now. Hmm. So I keep going. I'm just I'm diving into The Ring history. That movie made a lot of money. Yeah, it was a big hit. Given out to me that I only know it as a freaking <laughs> Naomi Watts movie. I'm sorry. You didn't watch the 1998 Ring it was based on Ring by Hiroshi Takahashi and Ring by Koju Suzuki. And Ring. Uh, you know. Sorry. I'm sorry, okay? I'm, I, I'm actually going to take the L on this one because I've never seen the American Ring. But have you seen the Japanese Ring? I have seen the Japanese Ring. So yeah, it's a 1998 movie based on a 1991 novel. I was really worried for a second that I had, like, Mandela affected the ring being Japanese. <laughs> because I clicked, when I clicked on the on the Wikipedia, it only listed the novel for a second. And I was like, oh god, <laughs> did I make up this? Uh, so Jared Pie faced Monty, they brawled, then Dusty wandered out, they went to break, they came back. Larry was shouting at Dusty for getting involved again. Dusty insists that Hardy will get his return match. He thinks that they should raise the stakes as well to make it a stipulation match, perhaps. Larry says, you have no authority here, Dusty Rhodes. True. And next week, I'm bringing another member of the championship committee to get you in line. And Dusty thought that meant Terry Funk. Hell yeah. It's not going to be Terry Funk. No. (laughs) Maybe he brings in Jack Briscoe. Well, the other member of the championship committee is Harley Race, but sure. Harley Race, of course, beat Jack Briscoe for the NWA title, Garrett. Uh, I know, I know facts. You never answered my question. Liam said, told me he loves Jack Briscoe, oh, no. and then I asked him who is better, Jack Briscoe or Jay Briscoe, and you never gave me an answer. So right now, right here on this podcast, who is better between Jack Briscoe and Jay Briscoe? 
So Abyss defeated Frankie Caparin in a squash match on the last impact of the month. Absolute coward. All right, that takes us to the X Division, I guess, if Liam's not going to answer. which uh, We continued the feud between AJ Styles and Kid Cash. The main event of the September 1st pay-per-view was AJ Styles and Ron Killings facing Kid Cash and uh, Dallas in an asylum street fight. AJ Styles and Ron Killings dressed up like each other. Well, actually, AJ dressed like Ron. That's the highlight of the entire match. Highlight of the entire month, AJ dressing like Ron. I wouldn't go that far. Would, uh, all right, which would you prefer, AJ dressing like Ron or Ron dressing like AJ? I think I want to see them do both. I want to see <laughs> Ron dress like AJ, but AJ dress like Ron. I'm a little disappointed that when there was a trio with Jeff Hardy, they didn't also do this shtick, so that they should have changed it so that like every time they team, it's like, they dress like AJ they this week. They didn't have another pair of pants. They dress like Jeff Hardy this week, and they dress like Ron this week. <laughs> Uh, it was your classic asylum brawl. Good match. Brawled around the building. Truth won with an axe kicks. Team Canada ran out as PD held the belt in AJ's face. Cash ran at Styles through a table. Trio came made the save to set up a tables match between AJ Styles and Kid Cash on the final asylum show. Uh, two of the three falls tables match, in fact. Which I think all tables matches should be. I insist upon this. That like the idea of building a match around a single table bump in 2022 is stupid. So do two out of three falls. So you can at least do two table bumps so everyone's entertained. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment. Cash German styles through the table, but it only kind of broke. And the referee was like, nah. So Cash picked him up and slammed them through the table. It's like, well, poor AJ. Yeah. Styles dropkick Cash off the apron through a table, and then Styles won with a Styles Clash off the ropes through a table after Dallas accidentally hit Kid Cash. Yeah, um, I, I enjoy these dudes doing plunder more than the regular plunder because at least they're like doing crazy shit while they're doing it. Same reason with that with that uh, table match too, you know. This was your match of the month. You gave this three and a half stars. Did I? Yeah, you love this match. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Which we did the watch-along for, by the way. TNAchat.com, we did the watch-along for the September 8th Date with Fade final pay-per-view in Nashville. Yeah, they... they, Yep. Liam is trying to remember why he enjoyed this match and failing. Because I'm pretty sure, like, the spot I'm thinking of where they fell off the thing didn't happen in this match. No, that was in their street fight where they fell off through the table. Oh, they did the German where, like, it didn't break? (laughs) And then they got mad? I mentioned that a minute ago, but sure. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I was reading Ryan Satin's Twitter. <laughs> Stop reading Ryan Satin's Twitter. <laughs> I got distracted by his weird wedding. Because, like, I I respect Louis Dangor. <laughs> because that... That's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be such a stupid clip out of context. Because nobody is a better poster. Like, he is insane like there's people who post in a way where you can predict what they're going to post all the time dan gore is not that person because he will accidentally back himself into like saying something racist at least twice a month it's sensational he's the best poster i admire his posting as opposed to satin who's posting stinks uh yeah and congratulations (laughs) congratulations on the wedding yeah (laughs) uh yes liam's match of the month stars and kid cash stars beat cash with stars clash through the table to to win the match I think this is the match where I, like, I did the Dave system of starting at zero stars and building up as it went. <laughs> so clearly, just put three table bumps in a match and Liam will at least go three and a half. It's true. It's a uh, 2K22 logic. Styles is said to be thrilled at getting away from working with Cash and going toward Williams. Styles has a certain type of high-flying mash he likes to do and most veterans don't want to do it, so he tries to get opponents who do. Yeah, I'm excited for the Williams match. It feels like a big deal. 
I like the story here in that Petey is the one as the champion being aggressive toward AJ as the challenger. He's jumping him multiple times. He hits him with the Canadian Destroyer after this match uh, because it works on two levels because it, like it's a subversion of like the trend with the, the challenge, the champion attacking the challenger. But also it, it cements AJ's position as like the gatekeeper of the X Division. Oh, yeah. he feels like the guy, and this is the, like the new champ trying to step up. Yeah, and the idea that like Petey as champion is insecure as champion if he can't beat AJ. Which is kind of like, because AJ is the measuring stick of the whole uh, division. Mm. So we get soft build to that match through the rest of the month. Petey has a couple squashes. There's Styles against Alex Shelley, which is the main event of the September 17 show, which is one of the better matches this month because it's just a good six minute wrestling match. Yeah, it's just Alex Shelley and AJ Styles wrestling. And then also Petey Williams faces Jarrell Clark on the last show of the month in a, a real nice little match, actually. I've enjoyed the Jarrell Clark stuff. Because Jarrell Clark and Mikey Bats have... Uh, and Mikey Bats. They've been signed to deals this month, so they're, they're guys going forward. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good. I enjoy Petey. He's coming along. He's becoming Petey. Though he does do this face buster thing. Where... <laughs> it's the worst move. So he holds a guy in a reverse DDT position and then shifts them into a face buster. And it, it's a move that just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It's like a it's like a worse overdrive. Uh, a fun little note about the Alex Shelley Styles match. That was meant to be Alex Shelley's debut, if you remember, before Styles had to miss that show. Hmm. So you finally got the Alex Shelley debut match against AJ Styles. I find that the positioning of Styles and Hardy as a dream team funny, but also uh, during that match with the Naturals, uh, the crowd chanted AJ's better at Jeff Hardy. <laughs> I love that their name is the latest professional wrestling dream team. Yeah, the latest. What's the first? What's the first professional wrestling dream team, Liam? Uh, Ricky Dozan <laughs> and uh, fucking Luthez. Who is the current professional wrestling dream team? Dominic Mysterio on the Judgment Day. Ah, yeah, you're not wrong. Big Dom. Love Dom. All right, that brings us over to the tag division for a thing you hated and I enjoyed. So let's argue. <laughs> I, um, I just, I hate this whole story. So first show of the month, the Naturals face AMW and Triple X. If you remember, James Storm hurt his back at the end of last month, so they build this match around the idea that Storm's back is hurt for, I think, a pretty compelling match between the three teams. I just don't care about AMW and Triple X. Uh, I, I like I I really like this story. I think the match where they win the belts at first, we'll talk about the sec. Not great, but I I like the story. I think it's a it's a fun idea. Well, let's dig in. Yeah. So Storm's back is hurt. He's selling. He's selling. He's on the floor. Uh, Don West starts doing some Steiner math in this match because this is the triple threat rules where three men are in at all times. Uh, yes. And Don is like, with Storm on the floor, you've gone from a thirty three percent chance of winning to a fifty percent chance of winning. <laughs> I wish that um the Young Bucks, Rapungi Vice, and Red Dragon were this. Doing this exact same injury angle. Ooh, yeah, because you'd do it with Matt Jackson. His back is permanently hurt. You're not wrong. It was really great when they did it. <laughs> yeah, they built the hot tag where Storm finally got the tag, Harris won Wild. I, th- I thought they built all that very nicely. These, I will admit that these matches have had really cool finishes. Yeah, oh, the finish of this match was so good. So, yeah, Storm gets the hot tag to Harris, runs Wild. Then Storm... Looks to go for the super kick. He gets back in, and his back gives out in like the most realistic way you'll ever see in your life. 
Yeah, Storm's really good at that kind of stuff. Like, he goes to throw the super kick. I think he even, like, does a thigh slap for the sound of his back going out, which sounds stupid, but I think works. But it's awesome, actually. It actually really, really works. And, like, he throws enough of the super kick that you have a brief moment of he might have hit it. But no, he didn't. His back is is freaking out. His back is freaking out. It is. It's going (laughs) wild, man. His back just saw the Ryan Satin toy. It's going crazy. Daniels hits the Angel's wings, but then the Nashville steal the pin to retain the titles. It's okay. Yeah, so then it takes to the final Asylum show where the, the, the story is meant to be that the Naturals will have two title matches, the first against AMW, and then the winner of that match will face Triple X uh, in the second title match. But Storm's back is injured, so that match becomes just simply Triple X against the Naturals. Then there's a pre-tape on that show where the Triple X are talking to Scott Hudson talking about how they're going to win the belts, and when they win the belts, they'll give AMW a title shot because they're very honorable. But then the Naturals jump them and attack Daniels, previously injured shoulder with a chair. So Storm of AMW is taken out. Daniels of Triple X is taken out. Larry Zabisco is like, there must be an NWA tag title match. We've advertised one. So he books the match of the Naturals against AMW's Chris Harris and Triple X's Elix Skipper. I think something that hurts my enjoyment of this match is it's the two people on each team that I care about less. Especially Skipper, who, like, I I have a lot of time for Skipper. I think he has some very good tag matches and, of course, has probably one of the defining moments in TNA history. Skipper's not a great wrestler. Skipper needs to be carried. And Harris wasn't quite the person to do it here. Yeah. If this was Daniels, I think I'd be a little more into it. So yeah, because uh, I, I get it makes sense that like they play off the previously injured Daniel's shoulder injury, so like that it makes sense that it was Daniel's that was the guy taken out, but it does make it a worse match. Also, Skipper's just annoying in these matches. Why? Because he's just a whiny complainer about <laughs> everything, and he does it in this match, and he does it in the next match, and it's just like, okay, I'm sorry, dude, that you're in an awkward situation, but fucking grow a pair. <laughs> Yeah. You're fighting for the NWA World Tag Team titles. It should at least look like you give a shit. Mm. Chase Stevens grabs the chair. He's, he's going to use it on Harris before Skipper hits the chair into Stevens' face. Harris follows with a spear on Douglas. And your new NWA World Tag Team champions are Chris Harris and Elix Skipper. Mm. Like I like the story. This match wasn't good. This match was long and boring. Yeah. But I do like the story because the main event of the next impact, you get Bobby Roode and Johnny Devine against Elix Skipper and Chris Harris. Demore hits Harris with a hockey stick. Skipper took him out with a dive, but then Roode followed with a northern lariat uh, to uh, Harris to allow Team Canada to score the win. Yeah, I, I didn't mind this uh, match. I thought it was a cool combination with Roode and Devine. You do love Johnny Devine. You're probably deeply devastated that he got stabbed and he's not going to be on the show for a while. Yeah, I, I really do like Johnny Devine. I think he brings a lot to the table. He's an A1 guy. <laughs> Just because you mix them up with A1 does not mean you can do that wordplay. Come on. You can never remember the difference between A1 and Johnny Divine. I just like the name A1 too much. This was like one of those things where like they, they had this match, you know, Harris and Skipper didn't get along, Team Canada won. You could have just ended the television show there. It's fine. Yeah. That, that's the point at which you can end a show. You did a main event, you told a little story. This is like the point at which the big ass brawl with the they do fucking every week. But this was like my breaking point. It's like you did not need one here. You did not need Team Canada who already won. Well, let me tell you why they did it. Sure, tell me. Because this uh this was the week that they were running the the tag team pay-per-view recap thing. So they wanted to end the show with all the tag teams to get people excited to buy the tag team year in review. They already ended the show with a tag match. <laughs> 
I'm just saying that's the reason they had everyone go out there. I'm not saying it was a great decision, but I'm telling you the reason. Stupid. Because, yeah, all team, team Canada win, and then they jump them after the match, which is stupid in its own right. Then Daniels and Storm make the save. The Naturals are now Trail K make the save. And uh, it's excuse just, me, Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> 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 Thank you. <laughs> Final impact of the month opens with Triple X and AMW shouting at Larry Zabisco. Russo's not here tonight, so Larry's your authority figure. They want a Triple X versus AMW match to determine the true tag champs, and Larry's like Which by the way, this is another reason why I hate this fucking feud. Why? That's a great thing to do. <laughs> they give they gave a perfect out for this terrible scenario, and then Larry Z's like, haha, actually I'm going to do the stupid thing. <laughs> no, I I actually prefer what Larry Z does because it's like just because you want an AMW versus Triple X match doesn't mean that's how it works. Harris and Skipper are the tag champs. Oh, but you can just put any two guys who have never won a tag team match together in for the titles. Yes. This should be Jarrell Clark and Mikey Bats. Well, they lost the Shazarians, so sorry. <sighs> shake my damn head but like it, it does make more sense that it's like just because you would like it to be that way doesn't mean it can be that way no but i would like it to be that way so i find it stupid <laughs> because two of you are tag champs on the opposite sides of the team so larry then starts stirring shit because the butt matchy books is skipper and harris against daniels and storm i love this match and you hate it i thought this match was really smartly worked where it's like these two teams on opposite sides occasionally taunting each other like the bit where daniels is like trying to get Storm to do a double back elbow on Harris is fantastic where he's like double back elbow double back elbow and that was like the only part of the match I liked <laughs> and he does it himself and he's like give it out about to give it out to, to Storm for not doing okay. it with him I like that part of the match and I like Daniels picking up the, the chair mm. and like definitely considering whacking Skipper for it with it because that's what I want out of this like they sh- they and I that's why my problem with Skipper is in this and I think even a little bit Harris, I feel like those two don't actually want the tag titles. But I feel like Storm and Daniels are like, oh, we got this opportunity and we want to do it. But isn't that a fun contrast between the different partners? Harris and Skipper are like loyal to their partners, whereas Storm and Daniels are like, mm, tag titles are nice. I do I do think that's a fun contrast. I just, I don't like the match itself. Like this match, I liked about a minute of it. And then the other nine minutes, I was like, this is just dreadful boring. I love the touch that AMW and then the Triple X came out like as uh, as like together. AMW came out and then Triple X came out and then they like did the little swap in the ring. Yeah. Um, again, I, I do want to give credit to the finish here. I think it was a really cool finish. Uh, but there's like a ton of little details in this match. Like Storm Tag did at one stage, but he was in there with Harris, so he pushed Harris into Skipper for the blind tag. I I really liked this match. I thought this match was really smartly worked. So Harris stops Skipper from using a chair on Storm, which caused them to implode. Then Daniels hit a BME for an ear fall. Daniels picked up a chair. Skipper turned around, thinking Daniels was going to use it, which distracted Skipper, allowing Storm to hit the last call. So Daniels and Storm beat Harris and Skipper for the World Tag Team titles. That's right. Stormy Daniels is the NWA World Tag Team title champion. Yeah, they beat Prime Cats and Stormy Daniels. (laughs) Stormy Daniels and... Wild Time? Oh, wild Time. I like Wild Time. <laughs> wild Time and Stormy Daniels are the names of these teams. Yeah, I really like this story. I think it's new and fresh and novel, and I don't think anybody's ever done something like this before, with the, like the mismatched tag partners becoming tag champs. I think it's a cool, fun idea. Eh. 
Before we get on to the, our usual ending highlight of Goldie, there's a couple other tag division stuff. First show of the month, Shazarian beat Red and Saban. Uh, Tracy was bumped off the apron by Red. Red showed concern and turned right into a Michael Shane superkick for the win. Red, uh, Red looking a little rough. Red does look bad, and it's very sad to see how bad Red looks. It looks like a dude who definitely came back from injury too early. Yeah, it's it's good to know that he does get back there, but yeah, he hit like the card Red really poorly. And there's a couple this month as well. He does one on Kid Cash as well on Impact, where it's the uh, Red and Saban against Cash and Dallas match, where he hits another one that just... I think part of that is, I think, Cash didn't sell it particularly well, but also it's just another, like, mounting up of sloppy, amazing Red stuff in 2004. Yeah, it's, it's just a bit sad to see. It's also kind of sad to see, like, Saban just being this. He's just Red's pal in random X Division matches doing absolutely nothing. Yeah, just X Division tag job guy. Mm-hmm. Which is a bummer. Though he, he is ex-title contender by the end of the year. So at least he does something. It's just, I don't know. It feels like, let's just get to the fucking machine guns. You know what I mean? Well, that's that's th- three years away, so... Yeah, it's just around the corner. Uh, we didn't mention PD did defend the X-Division title against Sanjay. Perfectly fine match. Sanjay went for the Hindu press. The more distracted him. Dot missed. Canadian destroyer. PD retained. Mm-hmm. We also had a little X Division gauntlet match that took place on September eighth. So it was well, it wasn't an X Division match, even though it had X Division wrestlers all over it. No, it was called an X Division dominance match, even though it was a tag team match. Weird. So it was an X Division dominance match, which was Jarrell Clark and Mikey Bats defeating Shazarian, Sanjay and Delirious, Shark Boy and D Ray, Petey was trying to buy Amazing Red and Chris Saban. It started as a battle royal. Then the final two men, their partners, came back in. They had a regular tag match to determine the winners. The final two teams were Jarrell Clark and Mikey Bats and Shazarian. And then Clark and Bats picked up the big upset win. Yeah, it's um, a part of this kind of mini Jarrell Clark, Mikey Bats uh, feud that we've gotten coming out of um, out of the NWA TNA into the TNA era, which I'm enjoying. I like these two and uh, I'm enjoying them whenever they pop up. And um, people who got mad at them for getting signed suck a fat dick. <laughs> it's very mean. The word in the TNA locker room is that Mikey Bats and Jarrell Clark were signed to contracts worth 200 bucks per night for 20 dates. One wrestler, who said he had nothing against Bats or Clark, questioned the company's decision to give them contracts. Quote, why would you sign them? Asked the wrestler. They're not going anywhere. Hmm. Was that kid cash? <laughs> These poor souls signed in their first pro wrestling contracts. And you're like... <laughs> They have such a low ceiling, you should have never even bothered signing them. No one's going to pick them up. Let them make that 200 bucks. I will say, like, I was a little disappointed that then they were just beaten by Shazarian. Yeah, I thought I thought we were at least going to get an impact, like, title challenge. Mm, but, alas. There you go. They didn't do much else. <laughs> mm. You did have the cool Jarrell Clark match at the end of the month against Petey. That match was good. Also, Tree LK beat Marcus Dillon and Mike Hannigan in a squash. Two tremendous jobber names right there, Marcus Dillon and Mike Hannigan. I saw these two motherfuckers come out and I was like, oh. Uh, there was the Tree LK team of uh, Conan and Ron Killings because BG wasn't there because of damage to his house from the hurricane. I, I think it's interesting that um, these job guys always get like mini entrances. I do appreciate it. Yeah, I look at them and I'm like, ah, look at these guys. Who's going to... That's funny. Um, Whenever there's a singles match and I'm like, all right, is this going to be Abyss or is this going to be um Monty killing this guy? It is always a 50-50 shot. But yeah. Why would you give Jarrell Clark and Mikey Bats that win when you're just going to beat them on TV in three minutes the next time? <laughs> What's the point? I don't know. <laughs> it's stupid. Like, at least... Like, I'm just saying, like, you, you don't need to do much with them, but, like, just let... They beat the, the tag champs. They won that match. Just give them a, a TV title match. Mm-hmm. 
but alas. Well, or at least like run it back with the naturals or something. Here we are. Tell the story with shit that the Shazarian break up by like having them get like an upset win on them and then just have them lose to the naturals or to the tag jams. Yeah, lose to Harris and Skipper. <laughs> yeah, you could do that instead of the Team Canada match. Mm. So that brings us, of course, to how we close out the show every time, but also for the final time. It's Goldilocks time. I just... Um, I don't think I'm ready for it. I don't... I don't... I'm imagining a TNA without Goldilocks for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it. It's, 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 it's scary. And we're going to lose the most compelling character on the show. The most consistent character on the show. And, like, who, whose baby bear is Shelly going to be? You know? like <laughs> You'll be aimless, lost, wandering. I'm just, I just, I'm not ready for it. You will hear Goldie's voice in the future, but you will not see Goldilocks on a TNA Impact broadcast until 2022. Oh, my heart just broke. But think of the pop when you we watch the do the watch along for Slammiversary 2022 in like 10 years. Again, we'll, we'll be dead. <laughs> in like 10 years, you will jump out of your chair when you see Goldilocks again. <sighs> First show of the month, NWA TNA baby number 110, September 1st. Goldilocks had a match. It was Sonny Siaki and Eric Watts against Abyss and Alex Shelley in an, in an emancipation match for Sharkboy and D-Ray's freedom. Before the match, he was locking Sharkboy and D-Ray in a cage so they couldn't interfere. <laughs> Which I thought was fun. It was the, the old um, Abyss cage. Oh, yeah. This is good long-term lore. I also appreciate... Goldie, like, trying to suck up to Abyss. It's like, darling, you've always been my favorite. Who told you to stand in that corner? Have I ever told you how much I love you? Oh, you, oh, I love you. So, guy, in all of the, out of all of pro wrestling's, like, long, illustrious history uh, of emancipation matches, where does this one rank? I think it's the best. I think it's the best emancipation match in TNA history and the best emancipation in wrestling history. Wow. Um, anyone listening, feel free to submit your favourite Emancipation match. I did like Scott Hudson being like, you've always abused Abyss. And she's like, shut up, Scott. Shut up, Scott. Then you did have Siaki and Watts against Abyss and Shelley, and which continues my theory that I think Watts is actually secretly a good tag team wrestler. Mm. That the dude can hit a power slam on Abyss like nobody's business. Yeah, he, when he doesn't have to like work the whole match, he's always fun. A pick your spots kind of guy. Watson Siaki had the pin a couple times, but the referee was pulled out. Goldie sprayed mace in Desire's face before Georgie Watts made a return, running off Goldie. Oh, I fucking hate Georgie Watts. Allowing Siaki to roll up Shelly for the win. Sharkboy and D-Ray are free! Why would you want to be free? And at what cost? Why would you not want to work for Goldie? Seems like a great boss. To be fair, Sharkboy and D-Ray never looked like they weren't having a good time. Well, Sharkboy and that shrimp incident. He seemed a fan. Whereas D-Ray was, didn't seem a very good limo driver. He did run over that cone. But he did seem to enjoy it. Yeah, he didn't seem to have an active problem with being a limo driver. The only person he was having a bad time was Abyss. He was being relentlessly bullied. Yeah. Uh, September 3rd Impact. Uh, we have the wacky match of the three live crew against Abyss, Alex Shelley, and Nasawa. Yes, of course. Nasawa, big fan of Goldilocks. Because Don West on commentary is like, you know, you might be asking, why is Nasawa teaming with these people? <laughs> and you'd be like, you are correct, I am asking that. And it's like, I think Goldilocks used her powers of manipulation and perhaps some feminine wiles to get Nasawa to team with Abyss and Alex Shelley against the Tree Life crew. 
the femme fatale Goldilocks. And yeah, they have a match. Drew Love could win. It's perfectly fine. It's just nice to see Nosawa interact with the best acting company history. Three Love Crew. <laughs> Abyss. <laughs> Shelly Davis arguing on the floor, allowing Truth to pin Nasawa with an axe kick. It is not quite the last time we'll see Nasawa, but close enough. One more match for Nasawa. Uh, pretty consistent. Yeah, he's been a perfectly solid two and a half star mid card wrestler. Well done, Nasawa. Hmm. He also wrestles on one of the Wrestle One shows, I guess. The WrestleMania Impact crossover. Crossover that episode will be. Yeah, the big Nasawa return. You'll be like, oh, it's NWA TNA star, not the Wrestle One star. Man who is retiring in the Tokyo Dome. As one should. And then NWA TNA pay per view number 111, September 8, 2004, which is the last time I will tell you the name of an NWA TNA pay per view. Eric Watts, Desire, and Sonny Siaki defeat Abyss, Goldilocks, and Alex Shelley. What is there to say? Tell me a lie that you won't go no more yesterday. It is the end of an era. Abyss was about to kill uh, Desire before Georgie Watts ran out. Goldie berated Abyss, told him to choke slam Desire. She, Abyss was like, I, maybe I don't want to. Then she slapped Abyss and he snapped and he dropped Goldie with a backbreaker, allowing Desire to pick up the win. And that is not quite the last time we'll see Goldie because of that AJ Styles-Alex Shelley match where Goldie was also at ringside. But this was the write-off of Goldilocks. Asylum era legend coming to an end in the last Asylum show. It's the only real tribute to the legacy of the Asylum that it is the end of the Goldilocks arc. Yeah, um... From backstage announcer mm-hmm. to prank show host. Of course, the highlight of the run. To the fucking Joker. You forgot about the lover of Eric Watson between. Oh, sorry, sex maniac. Mm-hmm. To the Joker. Yes. To the million dollar man to <laughs> What an arc. One of the most fulfilling character arcs in all of pro wrestling history. Not just pro wrestling, I'll extend it to television. One of the most compelling character arcs in media. Damn right. Mary Shelley could never. And it's all over, but why is it all over, Garrett? Goldilocks is done for now, if not for good, according to the Wrestling Observer. (laughs) The September 8th show with Abyss was scheduled to be her blow-off to begin with, but then she got on everybody's bad side because she refused to do much of anything. She refused to take a choke slam. She refused to take a black hole slam. She refused to take shock treatment. And they finally got her to agree to take the backbreaker, which Dave says looked weak. I think it looked fine. But also, she's not a fucking wrestler. Abyss could protect her. Yeah, um, sure. Or he'd just kill her with a black hole slam, either way. He'd probably just kill her. <laughs> there is a possibility she'll be brought back for a new role, but everyone was talking about it like that was the end for her. It's the end for me as a fan of this show. There's also another Goldilocks note. <laughs> wrestlers are still laughing over Goldilocks' antics during a recent bar outing Goldie was quiet and reserved until Janet Jackson's nasty was played in the bar witnesses say she suddenly leapt to her feet and began dancing intensely to the point she was doing the splits on the floor according to a wrestler who was there it was the single most embarrassing thing I've ever seen in my life and she doesn't drink so she doesn't even have an excuse people were laughing so hard they had tears coming out of their eyes she doesn't need an excuse to be fucking based yeah these wrestlers they don't get it they don't understand the wonders of Goldilocks they don't have a fucking a rack of coke up their nose they don't know how to have fun (laughs) she can just hear Janet Jackson's nasty and release all inhibitions and dance like the world is ending 
in her defense, if you don't, if you hear Janet Jackson's nasty and you don't act like that, then there's something dead inside of you. So speaking of dead inside, that is the end of Goldilocks. I'm depressed. I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I'm old. I work with fucking children. I'm hurt. I'm mostly just hurt. That's it. We have to end on such a somber note. We do. It's the end of the Asylum era, but we are moving into the pay-per-view era, Liam. Uh, we're on the Victory Road. That is September 2004, but our next episode will be October-November, covering as far as Victory Road, the first TNA Sunday three-hour pay-per-view. <laughs> Two months, and we'll somehow watch less footage than a regular month. Well, it is six episodes of Impact, but good luck with that. <laughs> it's at least oh, so six times 40. Which is the equivalent of two weekly pay-per-views. So there you go. So, yeah, still way less. So our next episode will be the Victory Road episode. You can look forward to that in roughly two weeks' time. Uh, Next weekend, we'll be back with the next episode of Review It For Her, our Wrestling Society X show. Episode two of that will be in your Patreon feed next weekend, tnhi.com, patreon.com, slash kidding me. There is a watch-along of NWA TNA pay-per-view number 111. I lied. Now, that's the last time I will say the name of NWA (gasps) pay-per-view. The September 8th show uh, that's in your Patreon feed right now. Garrett, what NWA TNA episode was it? 111. (gasps) Damn it, you tricked me. September 8th, 2004, the last Asylum show, the last national show. That's our watch-along. That's tnhi.com, patreon.com, slash kidding me. All there for you right now, including show notes, including an ad-free episode, including all the other content we talked about earlier while Liam shoved that plug into the Hardy and Jarrett segment. (laughs) You can follow Mm -hmm. us on Twitter, at TNAHistoryPod. Follow us on YouTube, just search you've got to be getting me you'll find it follow us on it yeah you can listen i don't use youtube's verbiage follow us on tiktok if you want we have like sixteen thousand followers yeah no, no big deal follow liam on twitter at the gleet muda follow me on twitter at that's me. garrett kidney thanks for listening that's you and bye bye do the damn thing rest in peace quality love she's not dead just the character If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.